Welcome to You Hear Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taku. And I'm Luna. And today we have two very special guests with us. Our first guest is Saflora, and she is a self-proclaimed Aaron optimist, which is a term you have to explain to us. <laughs> Happy to do it. Hi, I'm Saflora. <laughs> you can call me Laura. An Aaron optimist, I would say, I think I coined the term. I haven't seen it anywhere. Somebody who believes that Aaron has a plan other than mass genocide and that he is ultimately going to be our hero. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. I mean, in fairness, 30% of the fandom agrees with you. So while you have coined yeah. the term, you are not alone. It's, it's just funny, like the, the colossal titans are already on the mainland, like killing people. And you're like, no, 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 Aaron is doing something different. <laughs> well, we don't know if they are. I mean, we'll talk about that. Okay, yeah, that's good. And our second guest is Kingsgrave. I don't think he has like a self-proclaimed term, but I do know he has a couple of favorites that he wants to talk about. Kingsgrave, can you introduce yourself? Uh, hello, I'm Kingsgrave, and I'm an Aaron pessimist. I believe he did everything <laughs> wrong. And he is genociding the world, and there's nothing more to do it than that. All right. It just makes me so sad. Like, I just cannot believe our baby boy Aaron is like, I'm, I, I am an Aaron pessimist too at this point, but like, I think there's still like 10% of my brain that is refusing to accept it. So, so Flora, right. if you are correct, if you are <laughs> correct, you can come and tell me you told me so, and I will humbly accept it. I thought you were like going to give her your firstborn or something. <laughs> you can have her. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about kids, but. I'll take your dog. Okay, there you go. <laughs> no, I had first dips on the dog. Come on. <laughs> so let's start with chapter impressions. What did you think about 128 traders? And let's start with Saflora, and then we'll go to Kingsgrave. So I liked this chapter. I rated it a four out of five. Well, the first time I read it, I think I was more like on a three. Then I sat with it a little bit. You know, you need to open it up, let it breathe. Um, so my opinions improved favorite part there were a lot of things i liked about it i really liked annie's moments this is the most i've ever liked annie the most frustrating part for me for when i read it and you know even now is that we're kind of rehashing some of the same arguments i was a little bit confused that the 104th even after all they've been through is now still having such a problem with doing what they need to do at this point but i guess we'll probably talk about that more in a little bit. And what about you, Kingsgrave? Uh, I rated this chapter a three out of five, but after you know reading more about it, I think I view it even lower than that. I was <laughs> half the chapter being devoted to characters I didn't even remember existed or were even alive, <laughs> and characters I do like, like Magath, seemingly just. I don't know, reaching his uh, end of his character arc like really, really fast. And also the whole, you know, Titans just happened to cross the ocean without really any explanation on how they even did that. Luna? I, I do have some gripes with this chapter, but Reiner was looking at 11 out of 10 this chapter, so this chapter is <laughs> getting a 5 out of 5 for me. <laughs> I, I don't have any complaints. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> how about you? So what's okay. So I, 
<laughs> eviscerated this chapter on Discord. Like I was so frustrated for all the reasons King's grave mentioned. But as I have, you know, working on the poll and then um, reading it a couple more times, I don't hate it anymore. Let me start over. <laughs> what I hate about this chapter is the freaking mechanics are needed to fly the airplane. Like of all the unnecessary, like that part right there, while Titans apparently have crossed the ocean and are marching into Marley, they can't get the plane off the ground because they need mechanics to unfold the wings. I just, that frustrates me so much. And it's so stupid that I'm frustrated by that. Like all my frustrations have coalesced in this one moment. But I, I, I understand like maybe Isayama has introduced this complexity because it has to be imperative that they save Kiyomi. But couldn't Kiyomi have just had the key or something? Like, why did it have to be now suddenly they need this team of mechanics and it has to be in an airbay and it has to be, you know, inspected and then the wings have to be unfolded? I just, I really want this story to move forward. Not that I want it to rush to the ending, but I'm tired of the unnecessary detours. And I think having to save a team of mechanics and service the airplane before it can take off just felt like an unnecessary detour to me. And I know that's stupid, but... I every time I see that, I just get so irritated. So that's how I felt. Ugh. I would agree with that. I've seen people talk about a lot of the things in this chapter feeling contrived, like Magad's apology and all the flock situation, that kind of thing. But the thing that felt the most contrived to me, really the only thing, was the plane. So I feel you. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I have like this point to rage about that isn't a character, because I think it's harder when you're angry at like a character development. Yeah. But there were a lot of people who were really angry at the character development this chapter. I think both with Magath and with Flock, which we're also going to get to. But let's start with somebody that I think we all agree on had a really great chapter, and that was Annie. I guess four years in a crystal has made her a little more open and, and maybe uh, introspective than she was when she went into that crystal. Uh, her statements were really interesting to me. And I know, uh, Safflora, you mentioned to me before we started the podcast that you actually selected her as your MVP. I did. Um, I mean, that was a really hard question for me, but I went with Annie because this was the first time that I really enjoyed her. And I think that a lot of her words at the beginning of the chapter kind of helped bookend one of the major themes that came out of this. So all that content was really interesting to me. I mean, she's, she's real and direct and pragmatic. Like she's also always been, but this is the most empathy we've seen from her, I think, and the most compassion. So that was an interesting moment for me. I mean, just the part where she's sort of calling the 104th out and saying, okay, that's great that you want to try to do this without hurting anybody, but how are we going to do it? It might be impossible to get you what you want. It might be impossible to reconcile those two goals. That was interesting to me because it, echoed Aaron's words from years back. And ultimately, I think what this chapter did was vindicate Aaron a little bit, at least in that regard. So we might talk about that a little bit more later, whether you agree or not. I'd like to know now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so Aaron's whole thing for all the years in between the basement and his attack on Liberio where we don't have time and like he didn't want to have to hurt people either, I think, but he didn't see a way to reconcile those two things and was getting frustrated with them not being able to make a choice. 
And that's exactly what Annie's saying here. Like, okay, you want to buy time to do this thing we need to do, but you don't want to hurt any of these people. How? To their credit, this time they did try to implement a plan, but the fact that it failed, I think, is showing that Aaron's concerns were not unfounded. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I think that was one of the purposes of this chapter. With the surgery court specifically, it feels like they still haven't really accepted what is happening. Like, it seems like they're not at all reacting the way they they should. Like, they even know that the world is under under siege and their own island is against them. They seem to almost be in denial of it. So it, I, I like that Annie is speaking out against that and trying to remind them, like, hey, we have, we have a mission here. We have to save the world, and that might mean fighting against your own island. I thought y'all would have accepted this before. So it feels weird to me that they need to be constantly reminded of this, that they didn't accept this already. I agree in part, but I think after last chapter where they came to the conclusion that they wanted to save as many people as possible, it would feel kind of weird to now be like, oh, let's go kill everyone who is not on our side. So I kind of get their struggle at this moment. But for me, mm, Anya was kind of like preaching to the choir and the choir being the audience because I thought, well, she's basically saying what everyone is thinking, I'm guessing. So I, I didn't find her particularly interesting just was kind of neutral on her this chapter i i'm not trying to suggest that the survey corps should be like okay with that they should be happy that they have to kill um you know members of their own island or members of their own like one of fourth they they have no reason to be happy about it but it just seems to me that they haven't even accepted that as a as part of the thing that they have to do, that, that they're going to have to kill them. And it also felt weird with events that happened later on that we see characters being reluctant earlier in the chapter, and then, you know, when it comes down to combat, we see, you know, Mikasa just effortlessly slaughter people. So it just feels like a weird disconnect to me, but maybe that's just me. No, I felt it too. I absolutely felt it. I had kind of like feelings again from last month where. I think we joked last month that Isayama was like um, trolling the message boards and listening to what we were saying and parroting it back. And I got that same impression that what Annie was saying and even what, um, which character was it? Was it Anyang Kapan? One of them were like, oh yeah, we don't have a plan yet. You know, like, really? I think it was, was, Peak. was it Peak? Um, yeah. Okay. It was just, you know, I, I feel like these are words that people are saying and they're showing up as characters in the manga saying them. And, you know, on one hand, I'm glad that they're just uh, putting the words out there, but it's also so frustrating that I feel like you do. Like the 104th, I thought we settled this. I thought we settled back in Uprising Arc that people had to die. This this was more frustrating to me the first time I read it. I think what makes it make a little bit more sense is that they are just through this night of forming this alliance. Like there's a little bit of hope in that, that they have, they've come from all sides of the table and as unstable as it might be, then as the trust might be right now, there's hope that they were able to talk it out. Um, and so I can, it makes sense to me that Connie might, Connie particularly might be especially hesitant in this moment after having that little success, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know. 
Yeah. yeah, I can see both sides, but I, I think I tend to agree with Kingsgrave on this. I mean, I agree too. Ultimately, like of all the people that you're hesitant to kill, these fascists, really. <laughs> yeah, let's not kill the fascists. Never mind that, you like, know. Like at the same time, they've, they've grown up with Flock. They know Flock. How they could ever think that they could reason with Flock and people that follow him is beyond me. I don't, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. If it was, I mean, if it was any other group, then maybe. But it's Flock. Like he's not, he's not gonna. He's like Aaron's second in command, more or less. Like he's not gonna just go. Okay, yeah, you guys make a good point. Well, it's Flock and Daz and Samuel and the people like them. Okay, so thinking through this, I would assume too that they know that a lot of the Jaegerists have been compelled into service, that their their heart's not in it. They're doing it because they have to. So I can see that being a factor in this as well. You know, these aren't people that want to be even be in this fight. They're in this fight because if they don't support Flock, they're going to die. Yeah, and your point too about the speed at which this has happened now. I mean, I, I get it, I guess. I just, it's hard to establish all that in like three panels. Right. So something else, Annie mentions that the 104th would never have destroyed the walls. What did you guys think about that? What she was trying to say there? Well, okay. So first, does she mean Maria or Rose? Because that makes a big difference. I have no idea. Because Maria, yeah, absolutely. If they had been in that situation, I don't think there's any doubt that they would have done the same thing. Rose, or Trost, I guess, is not as clear to me. But ultimately, I think it's kind of a pointless thing to worry about because there's just no way to know it. I mean, assuming that they had been raised in all the same circumstances, that's when, at the point where they make that decision at Tross, that's where individual personality differences come into play a little bit more than conditioning. And so it's just kind of hard to run that simulation in your head and come up with a satisfying answer, in my opinion. Well, I, I don't know if if she's saying that, like, if you if you lot were grown up in the same environment, then you you would be different. I think it was more that we've grown up in a different environment and we are just different because of that, that we're able to to commit these acts for a goal or a purpose and you lot are not able to do that. I don't know if she was saying that if you were warriors just like us, then you would not be able to do it. Yeah, I guess I felt like she was being a little bit more self-punishing than that. Like, it was almost like she was saying, you people are inherently better than us. Uh, yeah, that's are, how I read it, too. Yeah, and I think she was wrong. They might be inherently better in her eyes because they didn't have to grow up as, with as much suffering as they did. Like, they were basically, like, forced by their families or their environment to just become, like, horrific child soldiers, whereas the SC, they all, like, volunteered. And they were living in relative peace comparatively. Like, obviously, there's the threat of the Titans, but... Before that event happened, they didn't really have to deal with the the same level of things that like Annie and Reiner and Peek and Zeke did. I mean, I guess that's where I'm getting at with the whole inherent thing. It, it sounds like she's saying all other things being equal, like if you had been in the same conditions, you would have made a better choice than I did. That's that's just how I read it, but I can see how you could take it the other way too. Otherwise, like if you're, you're not comparing the same conditions, like I don't see what the point of even saying that is. I don't know if it's necessarily better, but it's definitely a different decision. And that's where Reiner was like, okay, so Aaron would have done the same as us. But, you know, these other guys, they wouldn't have because they don't have it in them, apparently. 
I also think she looked very sad at that moment, like she was comparing herself negatively to them or, you know, maybe maybe comparing her childhood to theirs, you know, whatever. But it was a moment of self-reflection on her part. You think she looks sad? I think so. Yeah, she closes her eyes, then she reopens them and she's kind of downcast. Of course, Annie's always kind of downcast looking. Well, it's more like that she doesn't want to put this on them, this burden. But I don't think she's necessarily feeling bad because I think in the pie chapter or maybe right before it, she was like, I don't mind. I would kill everyone again. That's fine. And I think she meant that. So you don't think she's comparing herself unfavorably to the 104th? No, I think she understands how they're feeling and she doesn't want to put them through this, but she knows that, she pro- that they probably have to. I think she's experiencing some empathy, but I don't think she's necessarily feeling bad for herself. But that's my take on it. Obviously, it's, it's hard to run the simulation as, as it was put, but if we could imagine like, like Connie John or Armin in the situation of the Warriors, I'd, I don't know if they would have done what like Reiner and Annie did. They probably would have been hesitant like Berthold. Well, whatever she meant, it certainly was like a light bulb moment for Reiner. And I know we asked this on the poll. We were like, Reiner finally understands what Aaron meant when he said, I'm the same as you. What similarity was Aaron referring to? And the pie chart this month is all, it's literally like <laughs> all over the place. Nobody has any idea. Like for, there's no <laughs> consensus as to what Reiner was actually referring to. The option that's actually the highest with close to 30% is that Reiner has finally understood that Aaron is just a victim of circumstances, much like they were, which I don't think that's what, I mean, that's not the option I picked. I don't know what you guys picked, but, you know, I, I thought it was pretty no, clear I, that, yeah, go ahead, Luna, what do you think? You're the Reiner expert. I mean, well, it's what I just said, right? And I don't think, well, Annie said we weren't victims, we made a choice, and Aaron is also definitely making a choice. So I wouldn't consider them victim of circumstances, or at least that's not how Reiner meant it, at least. I think he meant like, hey, you know, we are capable of doing these things because we have, in our minds, a greater purpose. You know, they were trying to save the world, and Aaron is also trying to save people he cares about. And to them, that goal is more important, and they are willing to do whatever it takes. And at least that's what Reiner felt at the time, and I'm sure that's what Aaron is feeling right now. But that's not how the the others of the 104th feel. They won't go to any means necessary. Did you take the poll this month, Luna? I didn't have time. I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> I was planning on doing it today, but... Well, how would you have answered that question? I think I would have gone uh, with the option that has 18%, so I think it's a number three. Aaron is capable of doing horrific things that most people would not. That's my uh, my take on it. Okay. I love the, the option. Who who added Aaron is as selfish as Reiner? What is this? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Reiner is not selfish. Reiner's, <laughs> Reiner's allowed to think what? of himself as selfish, even if you don't think he is, right? Believe it or not, this question, Alina James on, oh, I guess she's Alina James everywhere. She, she helped out with these options. So that was all her, uh, which I thought was well, funny coming from. Alina, but I think, you know, all the different perspectives. Then we need to have a conversation, but uh, please continue. (laughs) What were your guys' thoughts? I guess I've got some thoughts on this. Um, I took it a little bit differently, but I was in the minority, apparently, when I look at the poll results. 
for me, it was really hard to choose between the first three options. They all overlapped a lot, but I, I think I ultimately went with Aaron pushed his friends to commit evil acts, just as Reiner did with Annie and Berthold, because I went back and looked at chapter, what was it? Was it 100 or 101? Chapter 100, where he says that. And the context of that is that Reiner has just had his breakdown. He's like on the floor and saying, no, it wasn't my environment. It wasn't my history or my conditioning. Like I wanted to be a hero and I made Annie and Bert do those things. Like I'm the reason your mother's dead. Right. And then Aaron says that. And then right after this exchange in 128, Reiner then um, offers the opportunity to the survey corps to bow out and to not have to make that choice. So given all of that context, it seemed to me that the way Reiner was interpreting it was Aaron was agreeing with him when he said, it was my fault. I made my friends do this. Then Aaron agrees. He's like, oh, okay, that must be what you meant. Because right here in this situation now, it's like we're asking these people to also make a difficult choice. And I don't want to repeat that mistake. I want to give them the opportunity to avoid making that choice. Does that make sense? It does. That's exactly my take on it, too. That I also selected that option because I think that's the one that felt the most authentic to me in that moment as well. Well, I can see where you guys are coming from based on the context. Still don't think it's the case because I don't think necessarily Reiner forced Annie and Berthold. It was just like they lost Marcel and they were like, we should probably head back. We're not going to be able to do this. But they were planning on doing it anyway, always. So if Marcel hadn't mm-hmm. died, they would have done it. Yeah, I think you might be right, but from Reiner's perspective, like that's how. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, Reiner's so filled with guilt right now. I think that whether it's true or not, I think he definitely feels like he's the one who. Oh yeah, he did. He he definitely feels like that's the p- moment where he should have just, where they should have turned back, right? And he should have taken mm-hmm. all the blame for the mission going wrong, instead of yeah. you know now Bert's dead and Annie was in the crystal for four years. I'm sure he has guilt about that. However, I do think, like, he recognized, wait, you know, us three, like, Reinald, Bertolt, Annie, we were capable of doing things like this. And Aaron is capable of, you know, massacring people, like we saw in Liberio, you know, and that's what Aaron showed him, like, hey, I'm the same as you, I can do what you did to my uh, hometowns, I'll do it to yours. And that's when Reiner was like, okay, wait, these people are not like that. My former comrades from the one of Fort aren't capable of willingly doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't we shouldn't force them to do that. We we have to give them the option to bow out of this one. And we'll considering that we are able uh of, you know, killing people that we feel aren't necessary for our end goal, let us, you know, get our hands dirty and you just stay here, keep your hands clean. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to deal with, you know, that weight on your conscience. What about you, Kingsgrave? Uh, I selected um, Aaron is capable of doing horrific things that most people would not. Now, I do not know if this is the like exact interpretation that Reiner had of Aaron, but my interpretation of what Aaron meant in that conversation was that like he was referring to Kruger. At the time that he said it, we didn't know what he did to his own father in like the rice cave, right? But we later learned that he's just like Kruger and that he he can do all sorts of horrible things and force other people to do it. And I think that makes him even more extreme than, well, at least in those scenarios, it makes Kruger and Aaron more extreme than what Reiner and Annie and Berthold did. 
in that way, I think that that's what Aaron meant, that he thought Reiner was like that. But I don't even know if Reiner is. And I did like the improvement to Reiner's character where he's letting them choose. Like, they still they still choose to go with him, but it's nice that he gave him a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a very welcome change for Reiner. So I guess the answer was that while Reiner had the light bulb moment, the fandom didn't. And we still really have no idea what Aaron meant <laughs> or how or what Reiner is even thinking. The question that we asked was worded specifically, what does Reiner think Aaron was referring to? Because even in chapter 128, when Reiner says it, it's a question. It's not, oh, this is what he meant. It's, so that's what he meant? You know, Reiner is still asking a question. So Reiner doesn't really even know yet, but, you know, he has a, he has a, a hunch, I guess. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it will be something that's revealed later. It's also possible that we'll never know that this is supposed to be a situation where both the characters and the audience are just constantly questioning, like, where did, where did things go wrong? Why did he, why did Aaron do this? Why did he feel compelled to do this? There has to be a reason. And just people constantly questioning that maybe that's Isayama's intent and he never is going to explain it. I know a lot of people, myself included, would be mad at that, but it is an interesting storytelling way of like the protagonist suddenly becomes an antagonist and we're struggling to find out exactly why. We still really don't know. We can like piece things together of why he's maybe doing things, but we don't know like his specific reasoning other than, you know, in like 121. Isayama has never been predictable and he always tried to avoid convention. And so if he was to end this completely open-ended when it comes to Aaron's motivation and leave it a matter of forever debate, I could see him doing it. Like I, it would not surprise me. I don't know that I would like it. I'd probably hate it. I would keep the conversation going though. I don't think, I don't think he's going to do that. I mean, I think we're going to know something about Aaron's motivation, whether we find out from him or from someone else. I've got my own ideas on that. But I think this particular line is one where it might not be addressed directly again. But if you go back, I think it's one of you know many things in the story where when you go back, it's going to be given new meaning, given how things turn out. So we'll see. It's clear to me that this chapter, especially like almost every bit of this chapter, is just setting up, almost somewhat pushing things aside to set up of like, okay, this is like a training or foreshadowing for when they they talk to Aaron. Like all these things are happening so that they can realize things about Aaron specifically. So I think Reiner will probably bring up maybe in the same way that he did in Shingenshina, like the second battle where he doesn't say it, but he's just thinking it of like, we're nothing alike or is that what you meant? Or just trying to understand why exactly he's doing what he's doing. Or like uh, Mikasa in 123 where she's like wondering like what is even happening with the rumbling and what is Aaron doing? Like I said, it's possible we'll never know. They probably will talk to him eventually, but I'm not sure what they can even say. I think Reiner is probably the best candidate at this point to like get through to Aaron if he's making realizations about his motivation, but I still I have no idea. I have no idea how they're going to reason with Aaron if they can't even reason with like Flock. I think that's something that you brought up, Saflora, uh, when we were talking about how it's become this plot point that they don't even know where Aaron is, like yeah. that they're going to be able to talk to him, that they have this plan, you know, that they need the airship, they think. I mean, it's, it is strange that this has been brought up now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know for a fact, I think, that they will reach him because we have that final audio where we hear Armin shouting to Aaron. So I assume that means 
they're going to find him. I'm kind of confused about the existence of the final audio too. Like this is probably just something I don't understand how it works and somebody can explain this to me, but like we don't even know who's animating the fourth season. Why do we have a final audio clip? <laughs> yeah. Because Isayama thought that would be good to tease <laughs> just us. Just like the final panel. The panel. Yeah. <laughs> we had so much fun with that. That's just something that Isayama drew. This is like they had to get people together in a studio and they had to do like sound effects. Like what? Where, mm-hmm. why, how did that happen? I don't know what specific interview it was, but I think he said that he wanted us, the audience, to experience what like Aaron has, where he just sees a random memory from the future and he has no no idea what the context is. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, the salty answer is that by saying he's leaking the final audio, he sold a bajillion tickets. Not that he wouldn't have sold those tickets <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I remember it was the a marketing big draw um, for the final yes. exhibit. Yeah. The marketing of the final exhibit was fantastic. And learning that the final audio was going to be there was such a talking point. And there was so much anticipation around that. I mean, I know the date and the time that my friends went to the exhibit because I was like sitting there refreshing their Tumblr feeds to find out what the heck the final audio was because I could not wait to find out. But you're right. He had to, I mean, this wasn't something casual. This was a studio production. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That was interesting to me. It's always been this case with Isayama, though, where we've had a puzzle in front of us and puzzle pieces, and like we're always missing two or three, and right. it's just impossible to get the big picture. In this case, he's thrown two or three pieces at us, and that's it. Like We don't have the rest, and we've got the final panel, we've got the final audio, and, and everything that's happened since we've gotten those pieces, we've kind of mentally tried to put them all together, and... and they're not coming together the way, or certainly not the way that I've been thinking. It is so exciting to me to hear you say that, that this was like a, an intentional move by Isayama to like oh, yeah. give us Aaron's experience because that fits in so well with my master theory. You have no idea. <laughs> what is the master theory? Like, oh don't leave me hanging now. <laughs> is that what we're getting into now? <laughs> um, all right. Oh, gosh. I don't even know, like, how to start with this. Um, Well, basically, this story is a story about stories, right? It's, like, how stories shape our beliefs and how our beliefs compel our actions. It all goes back to the story and the importance of that in a war of ideas like they've got going on here. Like, we have the, the origin story of the Titans and the the story of the Eldians terrorizing the world, the Helo story. Oh, wait, but no, it was Carl Fritz, and suddenly that gets everybody to change their mind about how they're looking at this. We've got Zeke saying we need a story to tell the world. We have Willie toasting to the great dramatists and witnesses of history. We have Historia and that literal storybook that shaped her life. We have Yelena now saying, like, oh, I just wanted to fit myself into this grand story of a new world, and none of you are any different. So it's a huge, huge theme. And I just think it would be extremely sexy of Isayama to (laughs) take that to a new dimension and have that be what his protagonist is doing and also be doing that himself to the audience. He's telling a story, he's, he's making this person into the devil, and you're believing it because it is a compelling story, but it's not necessarily the truth. Oh, so that's why you're an Aaron optimist. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you think that Hanji, Hanji's perspective, that the Titans have already crossed the water and are likely in Marley. You think that Hanji might be wrong about that? She might be. She might be. I mean, 
for me, this feels very much like the breaching of Wall Rose. That all happened off screen twice, and it never actually happened, right? So, hmm. like, we thought that Wall Rose had been breached, that Titans had gotten in. Um, it turned out there was no hole in the wall, right? And this is happening off screen as well. So there's precedent for doubting that. I don't know how she could have reached that conclusion seeing what she did. Like, I'm just, it could be true, but we could also just have a flaw in perception here. It's possible that they're still offshore and that's why we've got all that steam still, like from their hot bodies in the water or whatever. And that they're just kind of chilling out there. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I think she can estimate the distance. I would see her capable of doing that, of like where they are, depending on where the smoke is coming from. Mm-hmm. And she could be like, okay, that's where land is, so they should be somewhere near or on land. Yeah. What they're doing there, God knows. We don't know for sure if they're like trampling houses and people. Right. But logically, right. we can assume that they are if they're there. Yeah, if they're there, then they certainly could be doing that. But I. I don't think it's unreasonable to doubt that there's something fishy going on. Like it's it's strange to me that people would like be upset that we didn't see that happening and think there's something weird about that and not then be like, oh well maybe there is something else going on here. Cause that just happens all the time in this story. Okay, let me play let me let me get on your side for a second. So let's say he sends all the wall titans across to Marley and then uses them to put a wall around Marley, essentially, to, to so that they live in the terror of the Titans, just like his people did. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, would that be something that you would see Aaron capable of doing? Is that, could that be his, I mean, I'm just making that, I mean, that, that could be ridiculous, an, but, but. It's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought of that. I don't think that's Aaron's style, <laughs> um, but you know, who knows what his style is, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it to me, but. I mean, could they have a purpose? Could the Wall Titans have a purpose other than trampling people? They're certainly not going to going to go out there like, you know, Emir used the Titans to build bridges and blah blah blah. I mean, they're not going to have like um, their purpose is either going to be destruction or containment. Right. No, their purpose is terror. This threat has to be real. People are going to die. I think not the whole world. I don't know how many people. Like he's he's done some atrocious shit and he's going to continue to do it. But I think he intends to be stopped before, like, the entire world is genocided, or even, like, okay. even very much of it. And I think he has a different goal that anybody's really been talking about, too. So, I, I, I mean, I think he is doing damage. I don't know how much damage has occurred yet, if any. But he has to make it look real, right? He has to, I mean, it is going to be real, but does, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if it's coming across very well. So you think it's... Just smoke and mirrors going on. I mean, I think there's real destruction that has to happen. To but you don't, you don't think that it's a global genocide that he's after. You think it's like some sort of a campaign just to absolutely terrify the rest of the world and stop all conflict. No, I think, I mean, why, why did he announce to everybody that he was doing this? I know you guys asked that question in your 123 podcast. And then just kind of let it go is like, oh, it's a silly, like, villain given his monologue thing. And I was like, no, it is. <laughs> that's what it really is. There was a purpose for broadcasting it to everybody. Everybody has to be aware of this threat that he, himself, Aaron Yeager, is the existential threat to this world. And he has to sell that idea. And he's doing that by becoming this monster and unleashing this terror on the world for real so that they can see it 
so that they know that the Eldians aren't lying and that they really are like this guy's a threat. He's about to end their lives. So that when the Paradisians kill him, it flips the script and shows the world these these island devils gave up their only chance of salvation for a world that wanted to destroy them. And that's what Hanji said last chapter to Jean about Magath. You know, we're we're strange devils. He doesn't understand what to do with this because we want to give up this chance at our salvation. Is that what people call the Lelouch ending, where Aaron is actually orchestrating his own death to make his people look like heroes? Well, I think the Lelouch ending is more like he just turned the world, both sides of the world against him to unite them, which is a little bit too simplistic here. This is like, there's, it goes another level beyond that. It's like, he's actively trying to make the people of the island look like heroes to the rest of the world. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, it could happen. She's finding it hard I, to argue with you, Laura. <laughs> it's not that. It's just that I've never seen Aaron as being smart enough to come up. Like, I could see Erwin coming up with that, not to bring Erwin up <sighs> okay. every single podcast. But <laughs> Please do. I've just never seen Aaron as having the ability to come up mm-hmm. with a plan. Like, that doesn't, like, he's a sledgehammer. It's because you read that guidebook and it said he had 2.5 wit, but now we know. <laughs> now we know the guidebook. The guidebook is nonsense. It's <laughs> no, dumb, but also you don't have to be particularly smart if you have like bits of the future, you know? I don't know, man. That's a lot mm-hmm. of, well, that's a lot of, go ahead, Kingsgrave. I'll just sit here and go, hmm, hmm. Erwin's last plan, the suicide charge, wasn't exactly great, like in terms of just, uh, it wasn't a very smart plan, but he didn't really have much of a choice. So that theory is really interesting. And I've thought about something kind of similar of like, there has to be a reason that Aaron would be announcing himself as a murderer. Like he's pinning a gigantic target on his back and he did not need to announce to every, every single Eldian that he is coming for them. I don't know if he's being sincere or not. I guess it doesn't really matter, but I can see this kind of like Erwin's suicide charge of this is Aaron's like last hurrah. He doesn't have any other choice or he feel like he feels like he doesn't have any other choice. And like Laura said, we don't know the intricacies yet, but he might feel that this is the only way to like to save anyone is to make himself the villain. I don't know if that's the Luge ending. I've never really seen that that anime, but I don't know if it would unite the world per se, but it would, I could see him painting himself as the villain this way, being stopped and that leading a lot of like credence to the, those Island devils that like first, they gave up their, their nuke basically in order to, to save the world. But who knows? Cause there's still a lot of, there's a lot of people that don't like that idea because they're saying, well, there's still a lot of animosity towards Eldians anyway. Right. So basically what this would what what your theory would be would be that the world would have such a huge debt of gratitude that the horror of seeing the Titans and then seeing the Eldian devils themselves taking him down, that the debt of gratitude would override the prejudices and well, flip the tables as far as how they're viewed. Like they truly wouldn't be the devils anymore. Maybe a debt of gratitude would be part of it. 
I think the point would be that it would at least get enough people questioning their previous idea that there would be dissent. Because the thing is, he's not trying to unite the world right now. They are already united against him, except for the Jaegerists, right? But when he was sitting in that basement in Liberio, listening to what was going on out there as Willie stood on that stage making a spectacle, because that's what it takes, a big spectacle like that, to get people to change their minds. And he succeeded, right? He did unite the world against Aaron Yeager. That's, I think that's why he smiles in that moment when he's listening to the speech, because he realizes, ah, that, that's what this is for. Like, this is going to work. And you see, a, like, a, there's a panel of, I think, Ambassador Aguino or something, saying, wait, if that's true, what do we make of what we believed about the Paradisians, right? The, the islanders. So people are questioning. So his goal really is not so much to unite people as to introduce a reason for dissent, for people to have another view to argue over and to at least, I, I've put it as like pump the brakes on the destroy parodies machine, right? Um, there's just another possible viewpoint out there. Mm, I, I like the theory. I like how much thought is going into it. I just don't know if I necessarily agree for two reasons, because I don't think he's necessarily trying to introduce, like, he's not trying to um, get them to consider some critical thinking. It's, you know, hey, you've listened to all these stories that were only, like, partially based on the truth, and now I'm Mm -hmm. going to introduce a new concept, because if what you're saying is right, it's only a small group of the Paradisians that are stopping Aaron. It's not, like, the vast majority of parodies at this point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, that's a problem. Yeah. And and also, even let's say they succeed and um, it goes, as you say, like the, the 104th uh, kill Aaron after, you know, the big announcement he made. There's still the um, Eldians left on the continent, right? All mm-hmm. those people living in ghettos and they didn't really do anything. They just know about what happened. You know, they hear they heard Aaron talk, but they weren't really involved in all of this. Like, they weren't involved in planning it or stopping Aaron. So, would their position really change? Well, the thing is, we've been... It would change perceptions. Yeah, changing perceptions. Because yeah, what, would it? What, what, well, would it? Eldians have always had a PR problem. If they need another Helos. They need another Helos, Helos yeah. a.k.a. Reiner Braun. They need... <laughs> there we go! Yeah! <laughs> I don't. I don't think he would. He would appreciate it. But being the hero, because I don't even know. I don't even know if it would necessarily work. But if the the new hero of the world defeats Aaron, and then vouches for the the devils on paradise, then well, this is why Magath maybe it'll look the other way. Magath has to vouch for them as well. Magath is going to be. Like, I, I know what, um, last time we did the poll, like 40% of people think that Magath has death flags, but I feel like Magath is the one that has to vouch for them if this comes true. He has to is be their the only that, chance. Yeah. The only way that Paradise could possibly survive after this is they have to have somebody vouch for them. You referred to him as like the... The, 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 Douglas, the Douglas MacArthur of the story. When you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, yeah. That works. Same. He definitely sold me on that when we talked about that. It's also the same people that thought that Kiyomi would have a death flag. It's the same reason that Magath can't die. She can't die either. Like, they're more or less like, he's Marley and she is uh, his Uru. Like, they are direct representatives in the story of those two, like, gigantic nations. 
So they need to exist in order to guarantee Paradise can exist. And that's why I think Onyankopon will survive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he has to be the representative We have to have of, the outsiders yeah. vouching for them. Poor Anyan Kapan. He's like the only true innocent in this story. And I just, every, like, <laughs> the punching bag. <laughs> seriously, give him something happy at the end of this. Do not kill this boy. I mean, he's just such. Oh. He's just a nice dude. <laughs> I don't hate the theory. Oh my gosh, and that's like all I could have hoped for. <laughs> as you have said, like, okay, I have a lot of preconceived notions that I would need to overcome to accept it. Mm-hmm. And one of the preconceived notions, and it's probably because everybody else says it, I've just heard this so much, is that Aaron's leaving nothing to chance. And, and I also feel like this idea of him having seen the future is totally and completely overblown. Like, I think he has the barest minimum idea of what the heck he's doing. The whole fact that he didn't understand Paz, that he didn't understand Emir, you know, mm-hmm. he seems like he's flying by his seat of the pants like 90% of the time yeah. in this. He got completely lucky with Zeke in Paz. He did. Like, completely he did. lucky. Zeke at any point could have just been like, you know what? I'm not going to wait for you to, to regain consciousness. Take away everybody's uh, reproductive abilities. But no, he waited. And he's, he took him down memory lane. Like, none of that... No, that could have happened otherwise. Like, right? Zeke loved his brother enough to actually want to save him, and yeah, so he had a, a huge amount of luck. And then he would have to have—I mean, whatever that scenery was that he saw—that you know, I feel like he's gotten kind of a a couple of glimpses of an end game. Mm-hmm. But I kind of agree with the people that said that he's going—you know—he doesn't do anything halfway. He's doing this because he's absolutely convinced it's the only thing that will work. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like anything aside from wiping out the rest of the world opens up that whole, you know, maybe it's not going to work. Maybe, you know, this still leaves too much to chance. And I, Aaron Yeager, am not willing to leave my friends' lives and safety to a matter of chance. So, I mean, if, 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 if whatever he's seen in the future has given him what he needs to know that it's going to work that he just needs to get to this point where they kill him, you know, because he'd have to see what happens after. And maybe that's where didn't specifically King's Rave, you might know this. The attack Titan ability is the ability to see the memories of the next attack Titan. I believe so. Something like that. So maybe he can see. There's still a debate within the community, whether that means whether that even exists independent of the Zeke incident? Like, would they have been able to do that to begin with if it wasn't for a, like, royal-blooded Titan Shifter being there with him? Hmm. Because he's the one that... The Zeke is the one that initiated the whole, like, memory sequence to begin with. Yeah. And and I think people even had, like, an analysis of the chapter where they noticed that Grisha could only see Zeke if Eren was, like, was looking at at Zeke. Like, he can only see what Aaron could see. So we have, we still have no real idea, like, to what extent the the power even works. Maybe the, the attack titan power is even more complex, and we'll learn something new later. But So you think then Zeke is still alive, and is still gonna play a part? Uh, I'm scared about that. I really don't. <laughs> well, because the shifters can still shift. What does that even mean? Is Zeke mm. Because the popular theory is like some weird eldritch like body horror stuff. 
where Zeke got absorbed into Aaron's Titan. Ugh. Or he's, yeah. like, being forced to be, like, a past slave. And I just, I don't know. I don't, like, the. I just want Zeke to, you know, chill out with his story or something. I don't want him to... Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. What do you, okay, what do you want for Zeke? I am curious. Because I know he's your guy. Like, you... Yeah. <laughs> we've had many conversations about this what if if you could write zeke's ending or the rest of zeke's story what would it be so the main thing is that i want zeke to be redeemed and that i want him to drop his stupid plan okay because he's never really in it in his plan because of the plan itself he was only ever trying to prevent his own birth, more or less. Like, he was trying to prevent future Zeke's from existing, and he was mad at his father. For justifiable reasons, but he took it way too far, obviously. Um, I want him to drop the plan and try to stop Aaron, but I don't see how any of the characters... There's only one character I can see that could possibly talk Zeke out of his funk, and that's Historia. I don't see how anyone else could possibly do that. Because Historia has talked someone who wanted, who said most of the same things as Zeke says now. Like he, she talked Aaron out of his funk in the in the rice cave. You know what? I don't hate that either. Mm -hmm. I must be in a really good mood today because I don't hate that either. Like Historia's <laughs> whole thing is, I mean, Historia's whole mo has been, I'm going to find people who don't feel like they matter, and I'm going to show them that they matter. And Zeke is nothing but a bundle of self hatred. Well, I think I think the exact line was like. People that say that they sh never should have existed, I want to yes. tell them that's not true. It's like that's way too specific. It's like it's like Irwin specifically saying, "Does that mean we never should have been born?" Like when they're charging against Zeke, like that's way too specific for me to believe that that's that means nothing. But at the same time, you know, maybe Zeke is still in paths. Maybe, but him being in paths or the the body horror theory implies that that Aaron can't free Amir because he's not royal blood, that they still need royal blood somehow. That even as Amir, as powerful as she is, for whatever reason, still needs the lineage of the Founding Titan to be able to do anything. So, I have no idea. It's possible, I've seen one theory that I kind of like, where Zeke is deliberately making their Titans. Um, like, Amir stopped making Titans, but Zeke then resumed um, in order to stop Aaron. I like that idea. I like it too. I like everything today. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I'm a Zeke fan, a Zeke stan as well. Like he's my favorite character, but at the same time, he's responsible for like everything that's happening in the story. Like all the bad things, he's responsible for it more or less. The wine thing, everything that's happened to like Tani, everything that's happened to Paradise, the whole like Marley invading Paradise, the whole Liberio operation, like everything. Uh, so he deserves a little suffering. And if he has to, like, you know, suffer eternity in paths, maybe he deserves it. So you would be okay with him, like, living eternally in paths to kind of repent for his crimes? Well, well, also if it meant that that was the only way to stop Titans from existing. Because hmm. I don't think the story's going to end with his plan succeeding, because Grisha even said, and also... No. See, I'm just not going to do that. He just got married. That doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> he's not going to be like, oh, yeah, I hate children. Like, no, he's probably going to have a child soon. So, oh, definitely. That's just how Luna is on board with the whole um, getting married has changed Isayama. 
too. She No, she I think so. that he knocked his wife up and that has changed him because <laughs> he had some daddy issues before, but now that he's going to be a father himself, I think I mean, you think that's why he was nicer to Grisha even. Like, Grisha got, got that hero thing because he yes. can't be bad. And probably also why he wants to rush to be done with this series. Like, he wants yes. to relax and chill with his family soon. He doesn't want to, like, be stuck at home, you know, drawing every day for the next mm. god knows how uh, many years. Sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah. I'd be okay with Zeke spending eternity in paths if it meant that was the only way to stop. Titans from existing because mechanically I don't see how you can really stop Titans from existing unless somebody is in there deliberately refusing to make them. That's um, actually really cool. Cause we've, you know, you hear other people talk about that, about Reiner ending up in that role or, um, oh, no. Zeke winding up. Yeah. Because suffer <laughs> boy forever, right. Having to suffer no, forever. If like that happens. I'm like throwing all my attack on Titan stuff out. That's <laughs> you're going to have that a better public burning. Happen. Yeah, <laughs> but Zeke choosing that both in terms of penance and in terms of just ending, you know, he forever is there, kind of in this godlike existence, you know, where he just makes sure it never happens again. I mean, that's that's interesting. Wow, I think I would like that. He's also been referred to as as a god several times. Like they, yeah, keep I know. Whereas, like Aaron has been referred to as a devil multiple times. I wonder uh, if Elena could go with him. They could just chill in paths <laughs> together. And uh, like their own little Valhalla, except they don't do anything but just sit there and not do things. Well, she's <laughs> not an Eldian, so I think... Uh, I know, but he could change her biology, like Titan... Bi like, no, it doesn't work okay. that way. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Wait a second. Greek mythology now. Let's just... Let's just I don't know. Okay, come on. Let's go. There, okay, there, is a, there was one... Elena, there was one more. Zeke is able to take... Like, we're talking Persephone and Hades here now. Okay, okay. The, there's, there's one more bit to that theory that I wanted to talk about where I wanted the ending to be that for Zeke, but specifically... I'd want the future generations of Eldians to not be able to be capable of becoming Titans, but all the current ones still are able to. Because to me, the story is about, like, the current generation, or the current and the past generation causing the problems for the future generation, and they need to, like, solve those problems so the future generation doesn't have to suffer those same mistakes in the same cycle. And to me, Eldian, the, the whole Titan powers are kind of a representation of that whole concept of like the past haunting the future, the, the past haunting the present. They literally cannot escape their the sins of the Olden Empire because they can just be turned into a Titan at any time. Hmm. So they need to be able to be still turned into the Titans to so that the world can accept them for who they are and their past, and so that the future Eldians can be free from that. And that's possibly what Aaron saw. Because I, th I still think Zeke is important because one, he has royal blood, and two, why would Grisha tell him to stop Aaron if it didn't work somehow? Like, Grisha probably saw future memories as well. Why would he tell Zeke to stop Aaron if it, if it wouldn't work? Right. Or it wouldn't be important somehow. I like it. You like everything. I think I'm so desperate for an ending at this point. I'm just desperate like, yes, for like social interaction outside of your family. You're just agreeing with everyone. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, it, I think it's like I want, I want to know where I'm. I feel like the story is kind of not spinning wheels because stuff that needs to happen is happening, but it's not happening 
I, I'm not able to, I, 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 I would be fine with either of those endings. I'm trying to decide now if uh, Kingsgrave's Zeke eventuality could fit in with Sephora's ending, you know, if that would still, if that could have been part of Aaron's grandmaster plan, but I'm still <laughs> convinced that Aaron's operating mostly on luck. So if that turned out the way that it did. I'm not sure he has a grandmaster plan. I don't know how many pieces he has. I think that's where the trusting his friends part comes in. Like he's trusting, he's got this power that only he can do anything with, but he knows everybody's been made different for a reason. He had that revelation after like talking to Shaddis and getting that insight about his mom and her attitude. And I think ever since then, that being born into the world thing kind of took on a new meaning for him. And he really did show a moment of appreciation for everybody having different strengths. And I think he's kind of trusting his friends now to navigate the aftermath of what's going to come out of this. Like he's doing the, the thing that only he can do. And he believes in his friends to be able to engage in diplomacy and present that new face to the world and kind of thing. But, you know, he is trusting in that. You see, you're giving like Aaron fans everywhere validity right now. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, it would explain chapter 112. Like if he, and it would also explain the way he treated Zeke. Like he's literally trying to get Zeke to hate him too. And Zeke loves him. Like the one person Zeke actually loves is his brother. Uh, you know, he's burning every single bridge. I'm, I'm curious to see where it will go, but I'm liking your theories so far. Not sure I completely agree with them, but... They sound a whole lot better than everything else I've heard so far concerning Aaron. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Good job. <laughs> please don't, please yeah. don't make Zeke into a weird abomination. Please don't. I know. Please don't. Some There's weird like, like uh, the centipede, the uh, human centipede like stuff. That big Dino Titan is actually Zeke. Ugh. Now I just you know imagine Zeke's mouth attached to Aaron's Titan ass. That's all I can think of right now. <laughs> oh, Luna. This, this, this is something I would expect out of Berserk. I really don't. Exactly, I don't want yeah. this. <laughs> you know, yeah. we talked a little bit about our frustration of um, how we feel about the Titans having crossed the ocean where we never actually get to see them. You know, the same thing could happen with Aaron's Titan form. We might never actually get to see it. Like we saw oh. the abomination growing. We saw his face and pads. But that maybe we may never see like the complete and total Aaron Stegosaurus abomination. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's it. If we never get any more than that, really, I would be surprised. I feel I like you see, would have a lot of fun with that. Like, what, what's the point in like giving him the Stegosaurus Titan if he's not going to do anything with it? Like. Uh, well, why story. why not show us Titans? I mean, we were so I, there have been so many mechanics and things that I have been excited to know have happened, and they just happened off screen. And like, how did the pregnant Titan work? Never going to explain that. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I guess this all goes back to what Saflora was saying that we don't know where Aaron is. How hard is it to find a Stegosaurus? It should not be hard at all. They, when Hanji was up on that hill and saw the steaming bodies of the Titans, she should have seen Eren at the same time. It makes no sense to me unless he's in that form and completely obscured by the smoke. Is that, is that what we're going for here? I don't know. Just the, the fact that they can't find him when he is massive. He could possibly be using that Warhammer Titan to hide his body somewhere separate from his Titan form. 
But I don't know why anybody in the past would make that assumption. To me, that would be like approaching Naruto levels of uh, <laughs> yeah. of absurd. Like I, I, I like how limited the the powers are. The only like asshole moments are like things about like destiny or fate, which I'm fine with. Like the pregnant titan coming out of nowhere. Um, because you could not die. I I like that. It's still like pushing the boundaries of the mechanics, but like I don't know the the theory that like Aaron is just was the one in the window, and Aaron is just like able to somehow construct himself outside of his Titan. It's just way too far fetched. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen it done. That's what the I know. Work. That there's a precedent set that there that there's this umbilical Titan who can who can you know, be somewhere that her Titan is not. So yeah, there was a precedent set, but how that's going to be used, or if it was just because that was some cool idea he had, I guess that's... Like, if they want to talk to Aaron, they're just going to somehow magically go to Pav's land, right? So they, they don't really need to have him, like, be outside of his, his dinosaur. Except we've got the final audio, where he's calling to him from the plane. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, It it's weird as well, because the... The the same shot of the ocean and the port was at the end of like last chapter and there wasn't like a giant, very noticeable thing of smoke and steam. But this chapter there clearly was. So I wonder if Isyama was intending to show how they got across the ocean, but then just decided, No, I want I want onsen. I want I want my spa. <laughs> I don't wanna that's gonna take too long. It feels that way. Yeah. My frustration about that, that the, the rumbling has been a background event now, like a, literally a completely off-screen background event. And not that I'm anxious to see all the death and bloodshed, but I'm just so curious about it. Like, I'm so curious about how they're going to get across the... These were things that we talked about, and now we might never know. It might just be... But it's not all that relevant. Like, they but just walk cool across the ocean board. floor and then start trampling things. I think, well, do we really need to see that? How do they walk across the ocean floor when it's like 50 times the, the height of them? Where's Aaron? Well, is he also marching across the ocean Who floor? Knows? Or is he like, you know what we needed? We needed Moses Braun to part the waters. <laughs> <laughs> Let them march. Why can't, why couldn't Aaron have used his Warhammer Titan powers to make a bridge? Or, you know, I don't know. Why? He would be expending his powers. They can walk across the ocean floor. It's fine. Okay. Well, it, can they? I, mean, I guess they can. They are. They don't need oxygen. They're not even explaining to us, like, Isayama just completely, you know, here, here's the in-depth mechanics of how planes work, because suddenly I have an interest in planes, but uh, don't don't pay attention to how they get across the ocean. <laughs> the, well, that was weird. Like, oh, I need a plot point to stall them and have them a, give them a reason, you know, to kill all the Jaegerists so they cannot make a quick escape. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. But also some of the frustration of the, um, at least on my part, the, a lot of the frustration of just brushing aside how they even cross the, the ocean to begin with, is I thought the whole point of Carl Fritz putting them on an island was to make it difficult for it to be done. I thought that was the whole point. One difficult for them to be attacked. Out, it's literally just you know they can almost see the other landmass from where they're staying you know i can see russia from here basically you can find <laughs> out that they're olympic swimmers and they don't have to like even if it was just like a silly panel of them like doing a full-on like fucking olympic swim stroke it would have been something 
So we did ask in the poll, uh, you know, Hanji is surprised at the speed at which Titans are moving. What do you think? And 26% Aaron can control them and make them move faster or slower as he pleases. Uh, I think Humble wrote the option. It's an ass poll. Isayama hasn't really thought this through. And the rumbling <laughs> is a logistical fallacy that can't. Yeah. So that's 17% of the fandom, which is a, lo a lot of people think that this is just, you know, hand waving away a problem. So, uh, Sephora, I guess you're, um, you're in that 19% where you're just like, Hanji might be exaggerating or else is just not correct on this. Well, I didn't think she's exaggerating. I think that she's being sincere. I think she might be, I think on that one, I just put, I guess, colossal titans are naturally great swimmers. Cause like, I don't know, we don't know anything about them and how they move. And I think we probably will, but it's being intentionally hidden from us right now. And I think the purpose of that is to make us question what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would assume that they work like Bert, like they're slow. This is a little bit of fandom history for you all. Way, way back in the day, the big conversation topic. Remember when Bert kicked the wall, he was like holding on to it, supporting himself. And we thought Colossal Titans couldn't walk. Oh. Or we suspected back in the day, you know how we analyze every panel? Back in the day, we only did that. <laughs> Back in the day. If you look at those early drawings, Colossal Titans had like little tiny feet. They like little stubby feet. And Bert mm -hmm. was holding the wall when he kicked. And we were convinced they couldn't even possibly walk. So it's so funny now that they're like, not only walking, buddy, they are Olympic swimmers. <laughs> <laughs> we thought that part of the reason why... In the Clash Shark, why Reiner was the one doing the running is because Bert's Titan form was just clumsy and uncoordinated and would have been useless and it would have just fallen over. So it's just funny how wrong we were about all of it. And yet we were using our best assumption based on every bit of data that we had seen. We'd never seen a colossal Titan walk. They have little tiny stumpy feet. Reiner's the one that did the running, even though his his armor prevented him from being flexible. Clearly he was more flexible than Bert. So mm -hmm. it's just funny how how wrong we are. And I blame it on when it's Sayama. Well, who says they can swim? They are walking across the ocean floor. Whatever. And who I'm knows what Aaron is doing I'm to using... make them move faster? You don't know. <sighs> but we saw them move across land and that wasn't going very fast, I think at all. If Aaron can make the Colossals go faster, Right, and there isn't like a set limit to their speed based on just how fucking big they are. Why didn't Bert go faster in Shinga and Shina? Thank you. No, he's using like different Titan powers. Like maybe the Warhammer has some special power that he's using. I don't know. Maybe he's making them glide across the ocean floor. <laughs> I don't know. He laced it with all with crystal. I have no idea, but he's doing something, and something that Bert wasn't able to do. Like, I guess it doesn't matter, like wrong mango. But. It doesn't matter, but we should have known. I like in our poll document, as a talking point amongst ourselves, how does everyone feel about their crossing the ocean being glossed over? And it must have been you. Was it you, Kingsgrave, that put ha-ha plane in the... Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. It feels... I, I agree with you. But but also the, the assuming that, like, Aaron is destroying a large part of Marley... Would have made more sense to me if it came from McGath and not Hanji. That if McGath assumed that, because one, McGath is from Marley and he knows way more about its geography than I assume Hanji does. And two, her realization of that directly plays into like how McGath responds and how he immediately like goes after Yelena and then immediately apologizes to the Survey Corps. 
since you brought up Magath, let's go into that because that's something that um, I think was one of the most important parts of the chapter, also one of the most controversial, was about that apology. We asked on the poll what people thought about it. And again, it was all over the place. 20% thought it didn't feel believable. And I think that's the portion of the fandom that was the loudest. Like it was, they felt like it was contrived or that Isayama was just being very like preachy at that moment. I don't know. I know this is something you've put a lot of thought into Kingsgrave. What did you think about the apology? What was your issue with it? Or have you reconciled the issue with it? My, my issue with it is it's just way too fast. McGann's entire inclusion in the story, to me, it was obvious he was going to reach this point eventually. That his whole like interaction with Willie and his whole interaction with like the the warriors in general, to me, showed that he was going to eventually realize that they're they're not really that different, and eventually be the person that advocated on Paradise's behalf. But I don't know him just suddenly going, "I'm I'm sorry," and just full on like bowing to them just felt i don't know i rolled my eyes at it i understand that mcgath is fairly intelligent and he also is he did go through a lot and he just heard that you know his country is being eviscerated so i can understand now that that probably does play into a lot of it and also he he looks at gabby and then apologizes so it's obvious that he like he cares about gabby a lot but lastly I'm also kind of suspicious because this is very politically convenient for him to apologize to them because he needs them to stop Aaron. He doesn't, he doesn't have a chance really to stop them without them helping him. So it's not that he could be lying, but he could just be, you know, playing it up a little bit so that they can get this over with and out of the way and just defeat Aaron because McGath has always been very pragmatic. We had insincere as an option, and that is an option that 10% took, that he's just trying to get them moving as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is to appear to be fully on board. So only 10% picked that insincere. I felt like it was sincere. I'm with you on the fact that it just felt like a lot of stuff was glossed over very quickly. It, it has been pointed out to me that we don't really know really anything about McGath, like his backstory. Maybe that would make more sense. But... I don't know, a character making an action that feels rushed and then later getting a chapter that explains it with a backstory, to me, I've never liked that approach to storytelling. I would rather it be told just through their actions. And I thought it was already clear that McGath was warming up to the Survey Corps without like formally apologizing and admitting that, you know, Marley is wrong. I don't think we needed it. I didn't like that part either. And just because it felt like Isayama's just like force feeding us his morals through Magath this chapter. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, it doesn't have to be this on the nose. There was no need for that, in my opinion. I just interpreted it a little bit differently. Um, I think, I mean, it's true. We're starting to get a little bit into morality play territory here, but it's not to such an extent that it's bothering me, I guess. Like the, the moralizing in his apology didn't feel like it was directed at me, the reader. That's just what you say in a proper apology, right? You demonstrate that you understand why what you did was wrong, you express remorse, and you make a statement of intent to do better. So that's just like how you give a solid formal apology. And I think it was heartfelt. Um, and I think those people deserve to hear that from him, too. I think it was more for them. But then how do we feel about him then out of nowhere 
later in the chapter wearing a survey corps jacket. That, <laughs> that, that felt complete. I, I had whiplash when I read that. I was like, what? Yeah, I mean, I figured the purpose was just to hide his Marleyan officer uniform. I think they just, they took all the supplies with them, right? So everyone was donning new gear. Except for, like, I understand still fit the, into our old gear, but. I understand, like, the logistical reason of, like, he had to hide that he was very obviously, like, in Marley garb, but in Marley military officer uniform. But mm-hmm. at the same time, just given that the apology just came out of nowhere, it felt very strange to then, you know, a bunch of pages later in the same chapter for him to suddenly be like, yeah, I'm on team survey I'm on Corps. team and, devil. Yeah. And, and flying <laughs> oh, no. the wings of freedom. It just, it just felt way too... Like no, I don't the... think that's what was implied. First of all, it's just like, okay, this is these are the only uniforms they had with them. And B, like he's now on team let let's make a better place for the Eldians, like for the whole humanity. That's what the Survey Corps has always fought for. So And maybe I'm just more mad at like what his apology said because it didn't feel like McGath. Like to me, I'm a more like in line with, with how we've seen McGath talk and how he thinks, is if he said that, like, because he's he already had a line, I forget which it was, but when they showed up in, uh, when he and Peek showed up in Jing and Sheena for the second battle, they, he, he said that the end, like, 100 years of resentment. So he was already, like, heading on that direction. So to me, it would have made more sense if he based his apology on the, the problem with with allowing this island to be separate and allowing like this anger to fester so much that it that becomes like what Aaron is doing. To me he didn't he didn't mention Aaron at all. Which felt I don't know. It if he if he had said like I see now that this is what happens when you discriminate for this long, then I've been like, okay. But now he's just saying, Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. All aliens are good. Like, I don't know. I think he was apologizing for saying the things that he did last night, right? For reiterating the old Marleyan line that he doesn't even actually believe in. Like, you know what I mean? It was just for well, his actions, his words. He does feel a little bit out of character for me these past couple of chapters because, you know, when he reached out his hand to Gabby and then kind of pulled back and was kind of looking at himself like, what am I doing? That was weird to me because he's always been good with the warriors and the cadets. You know, he's always mm-hmm. shown um, sympathy towards them. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, what am I doing? You know, he's always treated them relatively well compared to the rest of the Marleans. And I feel, again, with the apology, it just sounded, I don't know, the timing of it was a bit weird. And how he then attacked Yelena. Did it remind you guys of um, Mr. Browse's speech, the whole you know, we have a responsibility to make sure future generations learn about, it sounded like something straight up, you know, without the Southern accent that Mr. Brass would say. I, it just felt like, okay, we're getting, we're getting this again, children of the forest, Magath version. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I see the connection. Good thought. That made sense with, with him because he's a parent and yeah. A parent and like a, a humble, like rancher. Mm-hmm. Whereas McGath is like a, a a military man, and he has seen all sorts of, and he's also sent like thousands of Eldians to their death without really even seeming to think about it, to think that almost like we 
I figured that he probably has an attachment to Zeke if he has an attachment to Gabby, but we haven't heard anything about that at all. They haven't even he hasn't even mentioned Zeke. Oh no, he has. He wants to blow his brains out at this him. point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's fucking done with Zeke. He's like <laughs> you're not my son anymore. Disowning <laughs> like, you. It does feel to me like it felt a lot like the same realization that Mr. Browse had and now Magath is saying it, but there's no real basis for Magath to be saying it. So that's why they he just conveniently keeps looking at Gabby because it's like close enough, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't quite resonate with me at least. Yeah. That's fair. I just think if you go like if you read through the Morley arc again, it's clear that he's always kind of felt this way. So when people say that the apology seemed insincere, out of character or something, I think the moment that felt most out of character is the one that surprised a lot of people in 127, where he was saying the things that he was saying, and it was surprising because of everything that we had seen from his character up till then. So I think that moment we can excuse as like a moment of insecurity and stress being in this group of people that he can't quite trust and being defensive. And now he's back to his senses and expressing what he actually thinks. Well, he always got along with the aliens and especially Willie, but like they also concocted the plan of what was going to happen in Liberia, right? Yeah, yeah. They wanted to unite the world against Paradis. So now to have the Paradisian aliens, you know, on, well, trying to work together with them, that's a whole new part of the equation that he isn't used to. So. These were the people that he was always fighting and also brought um, the people that he did care about a lot of pain and anguish. So mm-hmm. I guess it's re- that yeah. that's where the disconnect is coming from or came from in 127. Yeah. Maybe I would have found the apology more impactful if, you know, he got like a main character treatment and had just like, like a very sudden panel of, of him like remembering Willie, like not just looking Aww. at Gabby, but also remembering Willie. The true OTP. I would have liked that. <laughs> well, cause like him, him be him befriending Willie to me was like what he was probably already on the path of under, of realizing the Eldians were not, that it was stupid that they were discriminating against them. Oh, I think he fully realized that at that point already. But I mean like him, him becoming Willie and they're one of my favorite moments in you know, the entire series, like their conversation in the, in the stagecoach mm. and their like handshake agreement, like of like, I'm certain they are devils, but we are also devils. to me. It's like, okay, now he's going on the path to realizing the, like, no, they're not devils. You and I, we are the same. <laughs> Died for, they had a lot of great moments, didn't they? It's been such a long time, but even the, the balcony scene where they're talking about Helos and yeah, you got the idea that, that Magath, absolutely supported what Willie was trying to do. And, you know, I, I don't want to say like, um, there was a lot of respect, admiration, a lot of support there. It would have been, I would have enjoyed that to see that come back again too. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's another situation where I, I just feel like as much as I want this story to wrap up, there's a lot of things that could be explored. And I'm always torn between, I want more and I want less. I want yeah. less of what I don't want, more of what I do want. <laughs> I don't know what I want. I know there's a lot of frustration in our Discord about Maga's apology and just some of the, a lot of people in our Discord thought that it was, I think I liked what um, Angrian said where 
you know, it's at this point where like some of these characters are just becoming the author's puppets rather than actual characters. And sometimes it does feel like that, you know, instead of showing, you know, he's just using them to directly tell the message of the story rather than letting us come to those conclusions, just using maybe these shortcuts to quickly get past something that's maybe a little more complicated. I love what it was that LSJ said, like the nuance of a whack-a-mole <laughs> hammer, which is exactly what Isayama does. He just, all right, let me just pull out the hammer and be- just beat them on the head. And this is what I'm trying it? to say. Do you get it? Do you understand? Do you understand what the message is? How about now? Here, let me say it six times. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a real shame because the story never used to be like that. And it's one of the things I truly appreciate it. I wonder if he's going to look back at this last year of him drawing this manga and be like, man, I wish I would have just extended it a little bit longer, you know, would have paid a little bit more time and attention to certain parts instead of like, oh, I'm done with this. I'm having my quarter life crisis or midlife crisis. I don't know. (laughs) More time to think about it. I don't think he's done with it. I think he's gotten himself into a predicament and he's doing his best to get out of that predicament. That predicament being a deadline, an actual deadline. Um, so he I mean, made some decisions he's paying for now, but I, 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 I don't think he put, I, he himself made that deadline. I don't think anyone put it on him. Right. And only afterwards did he realize the impossibility of reaching that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think they would have been like, yeah, no, uh, this incredibly successful <laughs> manga, please manga, stop we, writing. <laughs> yeah. Please stop writing it. <laughs> We don't need money. <laughs> Who needs more money? <laughs> not us. Not this business. <sighs> the constant onsen, 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 though. I realize he's having fun with it, but it's definitely becoming a point now where people are like, Dude, you okay? Yeah. Well, it almost feels insulting. Like if you're a fan and you have enjoyed it so long and you feel like the author of the story is even interested in it anymore. It's like, well, why am I still putting my time and effort and attention to this great story that I followed for such a long time? So you feel like he's lost interest in it? That's how he's coming across. I don't know for sure, but I feel like he's trying. Like in the beginning of this arc, he was the pacing was all off. It was going very slow. And now certain things are just rushed through or like it's not even like a proper plot point it's just like oh i'm just gonna have character x say this to you know make my point cup across and then i'll do the same with character y and then we can move along and he's definitely uh missing a couple of beats to get to um the end of the story where he wants to get to and that is a shame in my opinion and i think he's doing it because he also wants to be done he he can see the end inside and he wants to get there i think you know he's been doing this for over 10 years non-stop he never had a break i can understand him being done i do but it's just a, just a shame like oh can you just get a little bit more of the motivation for the last couple of months please something i said in 126 was that it felt like a checklist of items he was trying check 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 this needs to happen check and there's not a lot going into those checkpoints we're literally just hitting the bullet items knocking them off the list so he can get to the point in the story that he wants to get to and yet i feel like a lot of that's happening again even here okay magath needs to do this check this need check you know and it's happening kind of in an abbreviated way in the quickest way possible 
to knock that off the list to get the story where he needs to get it back on track to where he needs it to go to end this thing. I really hope that um, once he gets the story to the point where he wants it to be, like when everyone's together again, they face Aaron, it's going to be amazing. I hope then, you know, like, oh, I'm f I hope you all get that feeling like, oh, I'm finally here at the end. Okay, now I have to make, I have to make this the best ending I can. So I hope it will be worth it in the end. Like we just have to kind of like grin and bear through this and then it will be worth it. I'm I'm holding out hope. I'm fingers crossed. <laughs> Same. Those past chapters were like really good. Uh and like shine outshine like most of the other chapters this week. So hopefully we get more of that that style where he like knows exactly what he wants to do. And he has all the pieces in place. Yeah. I think there are some parts that he's outlined probably in a lot more detail and are gonna be clearer like those chapters were and these ones in between. They feel a little bit rushed, but I'm not mad about it because I I just feel like looking back, it's all going to feel okay as part of the whole. When he gives his chapter comments, though, it would be so much nicer. Like, let's just say that this is like checklist, trying to get to the place. If, if his comment about it was, you know, this was a hard chapter. Like he's done this in the past where he said, you know, this is a difficult chapter or, you know, where he said something about the actual chapter. Like, mm -hmm. hang with me, guys. I promise, you know, we're getting to the good stuff instead of sauna, 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 sauna. So <laughs> I think he's, he's having a PR problem right now too. Yeah. Wasn't it like, oh, I want the, the onsen so much and I can't even do it because of the virus. Yeah. It was like something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that feels even more insulting of like, do you even care? At least like show us that you care. Maybe that's his way of caring, right? He's trying to commiserate. He's connecting with the whole, we're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> We're just so sad we can't go to the sauna anymore. That's uniting <laughs> us all. <laughs> Especially you Americans. <laughs> so he put all the uh, all the boys in there for him. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to talk about the cover now? Um, I think we should do that after the break. Okay, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back. It's time to talk about the infamous cover. My frustration. Yeah, I know what your frustration is going to be, but say it anyway. <laughs> no, no. I have get it over with. So my disappointment with the cover. Mm -hmm. It's not just that Irwin is dead and didn't make it on it, but it's that because of coronavirus, I can't have it. Like the first thing I did was went to Amazon and tried to Same. order it. And because of Corona, the, they're not shipping sal and the only way we in america can get anything from amazon japan is with the sal shipping which they are no longer doing so now i have to wait i have to wait until this ends and hope there are copies remaining same now luna do you want to know what my favorite thing about the cover is <laughs> go ahead so on the poll <laughs> actually i think you wrote this question 
about which guy on the cover was the sexiest. And at the last minute, I slipped in the Arwen option. That I Arwen, saw. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that has gotten 9.5% of the vote. And Reiner has only gotten 87 So Erwin not being on the cover is still sexier than Reiner on the cover. <laughs> Did you even like the cover, guys? Or were you uh, like... My reaction was laughter. I was just <laughs> like, Mams, what are you doing? And so I chose the answer that made me laugh the most too, which was all them sweaty boys. Yeah, that was my entry. <laughs> was it really? It was. This yeah. is why Reiner only got 8.7%. <laughs> yeah, that, it's my fault, not yours. Mm-hmm. You let your boy down. I'm just very happy that Erwin not being there beat out Armin, Connie, Reiner, and Levi. Like, it's, it beat out all of those. So I'm very happy. Did it beat Levi? It beat Levi. Levi only got 5.9%. He looks so unattractive on the cover. Look at his facial expression. I mean, I'm not saying I chose Levi, not by any means. But. <laughs> so Aaron won with 27.7. Yeah, it's the pose because he's like almost like the towel is almost falling off. Like we can almost see, you know, the money shot. But <laughs> Oh, okay. They're kind of like the same color on the poll, the lady abs and the Levi ones. So that's what I was confused about. I thought 21% chose Levi. And I was like, what? I did see some people saying that Aaron's arm looks weird. I mean, I know Isayama's not the greatest artist in the world. He has, like, struggled with arms in general. Like, handshakes and whatnot sometimes look weird. But I guess most people are looking at his abs or his uh, other regions. They're not really (laughs) looking at his arm. I just can't. He put a lot of effort into this. A lot of effort. He sure has a lot of fun drawing muscular men. His true passion. So the other character that I heard the most rumblings about inconsistency and the most dissatisfaction was Flock Forrester. And a lot of people, especially the Flock stands, really, really hated this. Um, now, I personally have always felt like Flock was really inconsistent to me. I've never, he's never felt real. He's never felt believable. He's never felt consistent. This chapter did nothing to help that feeling. Uh, you know, I know like Polka and Renan and some of the guys in the Discord server, you know, they, they, they were frustrated because last chapter, he's like this imposing figure standing behind Kiyomi holding the gun. And this one, he's a joke. He's a straight up joke. But Flat he's always been a joke. He was always been a little bitch. I so. think a lot of people are in denial that Flock is a joke because I've always felt like Flock is a joke. But they've tried to convince me, and Kingsgrave, <laughs> you are one of those people, that Flock <laughs> is a character that's actually very well developed and understandable. Yeah. And well, he was deaf. Okay. <laughs> Flock. Okay. okay. Flock is best worst boy. Okay. He's clearly. The best worst character. <laughs> My frustration with with Flock in this chapter is that it seems like Izayama cannot decide if Flock is like an imposing obstacle, and like antagonist for the story, or he's just a joke. Like, is he a mustache twirling like Marvel villain, or a somewhat sympathetic asshole? Like, which which character is he? Because he. Because I think a lot of the Flock fans like like the 
the flock that seems sort of uh, reluctant, although clearly he's not fully, but he's like conservative and he's nationalist and a lot of people that are conservative and nationalist, they like flock for those reasons. So when they see him just treated as like a comedic joke character that he gets unarmed by a middle-aged woman, a lot of people that are flock fans are, are frustrated with that because they're like, maybe they feel that their views are being like made fun of. Maybe they're the character they like is just not being treated seriously and he's comedic relief. It also just feels weird because the story is supposed to be like getting darker in tone. And then you have like a moment like that where it's just like, am I supposed to take this seriously? <laughs> I think Polka, and I hate speaking for him, but I think even before that, when Kiyomi um, says, you know, well, what is this change that you're so happy about? Like Flock, because that's something that we've argued about, whether or not Flock is having a good time. And like you said, there'd been some talk about people thinking that he was conflicted, that he maybe wasn't enjoying this, you know, maybe he had a little bit of depth to him. And now, again, he's being presented, like you were saying, as the kind of the mustache twirling, getting off on his power trip, killing everybody. And so your feelings of his characterization up to this point, this chapter hurt those? Uh, it's been happening for a little while now, but I, I should probably give some like context in that. Flock was one of those characters that I liked him immediately upon him being in the story. Like he was a character that because he appears like he's very clearly terrified. And then, you know, he has an exchange with, with Erwin that shows like how he thinks like it doesn't really matter whether I go with the charge or not because I'm going to die anyway. So I was extrapolating that and just assuming that he was always viewing the world like that. And we did get like scenes of that like a few chapters ago. Where he's like, why resist? Like, why, why fight against the inevitable? Like, isn't it better to submit rather than die? And he kind of said that this chapter with the, like, know your place. That felt in line with Flock. But also, like, smiling at the idea of, like, you know, entire cultures being wiped out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just that... I, I want Flock to be, because Flock is filling a role in that he is supposed to be the representative of like real world, like nationalist movements that happen. Like when you have a revolutionary figure like Erwin, it can lead to people like Flock immediately afterwards because they get inspired to join the force and they don't hold the same ideals and they weren't raised in the same conditions as that, that same revolutionary was. And especially on like Paradise, like, Erwin and all of them died, so it was just Flock. And the SE didn't, like, uphold or, like, play off of any of the movement that Erwin did, so that left a vacuum for Flock to do that. So I thought that was the whole point of Flock's character, but now it's just like, oh, no, he's, he's evil. He clearly just, you know, like, he's kind of turned into Yelena at this point. Like, Yelena has always been kind of like that, which is fine, but Flock like bounces in between that. You know what I mean? And it's just frustrating. I liked what Raiden and Poco both said. Flock no longer felt like a serious obstacle or antagonist. Raiden said that it undermined the tension of the moment to have him, you know, falling so quickly to Kiyomi in that way. Um, I mean, I actually didn't mind Kiyomi taking him down. Like I, I could imagine 
Kiyomi's probably got some moves that we haven't seen yet. It's it, it feels a little bit out of nowhere, but even with her introduction with the um, the children when they spill the drink on her, and she kind of had like an air of mystery about her. So if she's some martial arts expert, I'm all for it. But yeah, I appreciated what you said about he does keep bouncing back and forth between these two things, and it, it's a little jarring. And I, I I said before that I I guess it's valid to some people, but I don't like the former storytelling where like you have a surprising event and then you explain it afterwards. So like we don't really know that Kiyomi has martial arts abilities, but if that's revealed after the fact and uh, I guess that justifies it, but it, it, in the moment it, it looks like a, he's what, like in his mid twenties peak military physical condition and he's being unarmed like that. Like, am I supposed to take him seriously at all? Because of this situation, he got unarmed. It seems like he's he's like scared or like been like emasculated is what I've seen a lot of flock fans use. Well, when he's laying there with his face down, he's like killer, killer. You know, he's definitely acting like a coward again. It's not him struggling to get away from her. It's him immediately shouting to people to kill her. So I thought that made him look very weak. Well, I mean, he's an admitted coward, and he's obviously like the bully tyrant character and wimpiness is kind of an essential part of that character. I thought it fit. And I mean, it's not impossible for a middle-aged woman to take down a distracted young man. Like he's got Armin like shouting, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to figure out what's going on. She takes the opportunity. I think if you think that's impossible, you haven't been hanging out with enough badass <laughs> middle-aged women. Like, I, I know plenty. Like that was totally well, I, I don't think it's impossible. It's just it it just feels like he's supposed to be the villain and he's like taken down this easily and then as soon as he gets out of the building reiner and annie transform and it basically looks like the the fight is over at that point like there's not really much he can do mikasa swoops in and like effortlessly kills like his entire squad inside the building it looks like i think a lot of people didn't want this to be an easy victory i mean i wanted it to be over as quickly as possible strategically speaking it was an easy victory but like mentally the mental toll it will take Right. That's a completely different story. I think a lot of Flock fans, they wanted Flock to like directly confront the survey corps. And have like an ideological conversation or... Because I think a lot of people, even Flock fans, like assume that they weren't going to have an easy time and they probably were not going to win a battle against two experienced shifters when like most of them have not ever fought like Mindless Titans, let alone a shifter before, even though they have like Thunder Spears... How experienced are they really? And also, people just assume that like they're going to defeat Flock and then move on to Aaron. But people wanted Flock to like have a conversation or like argument with the other side. We're probably going to get that next chapter anyway, if like Shadis and whatnot shows up. But if Shadis ends up showing up next chapter, it's going to feel like even more than I already feel that he should have been the one to disarm mm-hmm. Flock and not Kiyomi. Like it's cool that Kiyomi is doing a badass moment. And I don't doubt that she could do that. It looks cool. But I don't know. It feels kind of like he's not taking Flock seriously as a character. And he's just using him as a plot device. Which I guess he's always been kind of like that. But I don't know. That's that's the frustration that me and a lot of other like people that like Flock as a character are mad about. And something you said earlier mm-hmm. about um, people who are kind of nationalistic and sympathetic. 
to the cause, um, you know, hoping that Flock would be portrayed as being reasonable or in some way as being reasonable, have felt sort of betrayed and, you know, betrayed by his character and then hoping that maybe there is somebody on the Jaegerist side that can be that voice for them that can make the Jaegerists not look like a total and complete joke. It feels a lot like maybe Daz and Samuel were brought back to be that role to try to humanize the Jaegerists a little bit. Uh, to present them more sympathetically and not quite like the joke that Flock is. So, I don't know, one thought that I had about this is I, there's been some discussion, and Montago, I think you've said something about this at some point, how Zeke's plan was not as much about like the well-being of Eldians in the world as it was about his own issues, like his own healing, his own, like his daddy issues and his ego or something like that. And I feel like we could probably say the same thing about Flock. Like, I don't think his actions are actually as much about Eldian supremacy and defending these people as it is about his ego defense or something. It's about his security, right? He's an insecure, weak person. And that's the kind of person who becomes a bully like this. It's believable to me for that reason. But I think a lot of the people who really actually think he's cool instead of like a tryhard, or they're disappointed because like they really did want him to be cool. But you know, that's how people like that get followers. They can't see the weakness underneath the surface. I feel like anyone who supports him at this point, it's a meme. Like nobody could actually support. I think even the most diehard people that wanted to support Flock have now like jumped ship. Mm -hmm. Like I really, um, I think Flock was always has always been stuck in the suicide charge. Like I don't think he's ever gotten over it, and he still I think he still believes, like views the world in much the same way that he does there, um, where he just. I also think to an extent, like he's not. I don't think he really cares all that much about like Eldia specifically. It's more that he probably just wants things to go back to the way they were. Like mm -hmm. he wants the like the island to be the last bastion of humanity and like every everything else beyond it is titans because there was a security in that of like everyone outside there is evil and everyone inside here is not and things were simpler and he could just like live a carefree life and john could go back to being like just a, a spoiled asshole or whatever flaw called him like and things could just be simpler but also at the same time like i don't I don't disagree that Flock is weak. Um, and I know people disagree with me, but he is very much a coward. Even if he does like brave things, he's still, I don't know. I think it's pretty cowardly to, to act the way he does. <laughs> like in a private room, like with killing all them, like he's, he's able to just be completely an asshole because he has complete authority in that situation. He thinks he's, he's untouchable. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of nice to see him like humiliated that way, but at the same time, like I wonder if Flock's purpose is to be just like a test trial for Aaron for the Survey Corps and Marley of like, can we convince Flock? If so, we can convince Aaron. If we can't, then we can't. Mm, interesting. Kind of like Yelena to me as a test subject for like, if they can even get Zeke to cooperate with them at this moment. But I don't think they can, considering Yelena 
refuses to work with them, even when her arm's broken. So I doubt Zeke would either. Well, you know, the the talk no jitsu is only going to get them so far, right? Like, I feel with people like Zeke and Aaron and Floch even, they've already made up their minds. They are pretty convinced of their point. Maybe with people like um, Samua and Das, I could see something happening. Like, maybe they're just following the people they've known since their cadet days, or maybe they have, like, other reasons to join you know maybe it's because of the the benefits of being in the survey corps and aligning themselves there like for their future lives just like jean could have done if he joined the military police maybe those people you know if you appeal to them and try to reason with them they might still listen but it's not like the main people on top who you're going to convince i have a question for you Saflora. And I asked this of Leslie in his podcast, because Leslie's also not an Aaron optimist. He thinks Aaron absolutely is bent on destroying the world. But um, as an Aaron optimist, um, why would Aaron have chosen Flock to be his? I mean, is this a mistake? Did Aaron make a mistake? Or is there a reason? Is this more of make everybody hate me? I'm going to choose the most despicable person what did Haunters? Haunters sent us and ask, please talk about Isayama confirming Flock's motivation as being the slimiest you can get. Yes. Why did Aaron choose someone whose motivations are the slimiest you can get to be the person that he has enacting authority on the island? I do not know. He might have just made a mistake. Um, it might have just been who was available to him, like who was willing to take that role. Um, I don't know. Time will tell. I'm sorry, I can't give a better answer. Leslie pointed out that Flock kind of ruins every Aaron than every Aaron theory. Every like Flock ruins everything because you just can't. <laughs> if you think that Aaron is benevolent in any aspect or smart in any aspect, or if you think Aaron is anything in any aspect, Flock ruins every theory. He's just like this. So it's got to be a mistake. It has to just be like this huge horrific mistake that he chose the slimiest person you can get to be in a certain role. And I'm not sure Aaron would have anything to do with this, but if we want to go back to that Douglas MacArthur parallel with Magoth, his thing, like the way he made things work, and please correct me, Kingsgrave, because I'm a complete novice at this and you know a lot more than I do. But from my cursory research, it looked like the way he made things work in post-war Japan was by making the emperor look good, right? Kind of absolving him of any responsibility for the war and being very intentional about putting all of the blame on military insurrectionists led by Tojo, right? Like it was important to have somebody to pin it on. Yeah. So Flock could serve that role. He could be Tojo. Like, I, I think I will believe McGaff's of, um, newfound perspective on Eldians if he spares Flock. Not that I think Flock should be spared, but if he can like because right now I'm I don't know if McGath completely accepts Eldians or accepts the warriors in the in the Survey Corps. He might still see the Jaegerists as like irredeemable. Not as like because they're Eldians, but because like they're they clearly like immediately killed the the head of state and they like took over the island. But in, in order for Eldia to, to gain peace in any kind, they have to blame everything on on the Aegaris, whether or not they actually are to blame. 
because they have to make it seem like the island was taken advantage of by like um, bad people and the good people were fighting against them and it's not right. like the entire island is made of devils. Well, the noble queen was out on maternity leave. Look what these assholes <laughs> did. <laughs> and, and Historia might even be a Jaegerist, but it won't matter. You hush on that. The story will be that she wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be happy about it. I still think, like, after she was made queen, she was made irrelevant. She was just like another puppet in someone else's plans. And I don't think that has changed, unfortunately. I'm waiting for the big reveal. Okay, so I, we need to write down a list of things we're hoping for and, like, do, like... We need to actually do a wager. Like, uh, who, who had the most things right gets like the, the jackpot. Yes. <laughs> who is right or who is dead. Because yeah. you are yeah. hoping for like fake pregnancy, Historia being relevant. Yes. Laura is hoping for Eren to be uh, a hero. A hero. Or, you know, making all the Paradisians uh, favorable again in the eyes of the world. Kingsgrave is hoping for a good ending for Zeke. I'm here hoping for Colt to still be alive. Yeah, you're hoping for Colt to still be alive. I think, uh, yeah. If I had to rank those, I think Kingsgrave has the most attainable goal, and you probably should find a new hobby. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's a good ending for Zeke. I think it's better well, than the other ones like, I've, I've read. Not like he's going to end well and happy and, you know, more like good as in a, a satisfying ending. Like, what, was that, what was that joke you made when I first floated that idea of Montaku, you said something like he can make like sand mommy and daddy <laughs> and like get over his, his problems in the past realm. It, he could. He could have the childhood that he didn't get. For being a parent, you're awfully I mean. <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I don't actively wish ill on any of these characters except maybe Flock. Even Zeke. Really? You've Wait, changed your tune. I? I no, you're right. I'm being hypocritical here. I'm lying. <laughs> I if okay, okay. If the characters like I would not mind a, a believable redemption arc for Zeke. If Zeke decides, I mean he still has to has to deal with the consequences, but I would not be at all upset with any of these characters getting a redemption of any sort. I would be okay with that. Like I don't I don't want them to necessarily stay where they are. And, I don't. I don't want Zeke to stay an awful person and die an awful person. I, I actually really like the idea of him keeping, rather than preventing people from being born, preventing the Titans from coming back. I'd love to see things like that. I, it would soften my feelings for them. I mean, I'll never. That'll never be my favorite. I'm never going to buy merchandise of him or anything like that. But I would like to think that you know he's not a total monster. Total monsters aren't fun anyway. So if Zeke gets his redemption arc, do you still want Levi to kill him? Wait, that's a good question. I do. No, no, no. No, if Zeke, if, if like, Levi has always been willing to work with Zeke. Always. Always. We, we have a document of them in the campsite together where Levi held off killing mm -hmm. the dude because he's hopeful that he was a better person. So I, I don't, you know, if that were to happen, I wouldn't want Levi to kill Zeke. No, of course not. I'd still right. want him to hate him, but not kill him. <laughs> yeah, I'd like fair. him to still hate him. Yeah. Okay. It, it seems like the story is pushing it towards like, especially with that that comment Yelena made, is that it seems like, it seems like the story is moving towards Levi forgiving Zeke, and that just seems so completely unreasonable and stupid. 
Huh? See, I like don't think it's moving to that. <laughs> I also don't think it's moving to that. I'm gonna agree with, on this one with Mom Taku, surprisingly. But then why would Yelena make that comment of like, you can't take violence from people and then have like that, that Levi face reaction? I think because she's pushing his buttons. Yeah, it's what Levi does. Like he, if he doesn't get his way, he will force his way with violence. So maybe he's like looking back and like, he's also part of like the, the old system that led to all of this happening. So. Maybe he's looking back at his own actions and seeing his contributions. Also, like, forgiveness is a two-way street. Uh, is it? I'm a huge Zeke fan. I do not believe Zeke would ever apologize to Levi, even if he's redeemed. I just don't see it happening. <laughs> you don't want them opening up a tea shop together. <laughs> no, because it, it doesn't make sense. Like, they're they're completely at odds with each other. Like, they're not... Well, we can go with like the Oprah definition of forgiveness. What's that? Well, that's not, that's just like making sure you can let go of what someone did to you so you can move on and not be held back by it. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's not like really saying like, oh, it's okay what you did. Like, I accept it or I'm not mad at you about it. It's just like, no, I'm letting go of the pain you did to me. I'm letting it not hold me back anymore. But Liva's not mad about what Zeke did to him, he's mad about what Zeke did to, like, everyone around him, right? Like, Zeke has never really done anything to him personally. No, no, no. Other I than the whole, like, it's suicide more thing. like how he indirectly affected Levi, I guess. I mean, but you look back at those campfire, those camp, those campsite pages, and Zeke lied to him about um, Rockville Village. Oh, yeah, that's Village. the worst thing he, he did. He lied insulted him no he ins- he then titanized his entire crew i mean yeah. forget it was a very clever lie too not that i can forget erwin but even if levi could forget erwin which he can't forget erwin um zeke has done enough outside of shiganshina to more than justify getting destroyed by levi like zeke titan just everything zeke has done has been so schmarmy and awful to levi the way he's treated him has just been awful so, and I said this to Saflora in DMs, and I've also said this on Tumblr. I love that Levi, I love that he's a compassionate character. I love that he's, you know, a very emotional character. And I also love that he's a spiteful little bitch bent on revenge. So <laughs> I hope that never changes. Thank you very much. This ends my TED talk. Even on the, the campsite, like he, he gave multiple um, chances for Zeke to like, to apologize and give his insight. And all he did was lie to him. <laughs> it was a clever lie, but it still lied. Uh, and also, and, and it's not just that, but Zeke was also like incredibly vindictive towards Levi and has never stopped being vindictive towards Levi. <laughs> so I don't really see that changing, even even with everything that has happened. Yeah, I feel like when Yelena said that, it, it wasn't for Levi to have any sort of epiphany. It was just because she's an awful person and she knew that he was in the shape that he was in because he because of violence and you know she's kind of like poking poking at him and you know maybe making fun of him and it's just yelena yelena isn't trying to make anyone have any like moral realizations she's just trying to sow spite and discord did you look at her face in that panel no but i will go over there and look at her face in that panel good very interesting hmm 
She always has the most interesting expressions, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the infamous one with uh, her looking at Armin. <laughs> I don't think she's trying to push his buttons. I don't think she's trying to push him towards a realization either. I think she's just commenting on the situation and she's sad about it. So you think uh, right captain was just literally just right? Right captain? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've written a little bit about this. I think... Like, she knows that he understands what she's saying, right? Violence is in his nature. Everybody knows it. Yelena knows it. Levi knows it. He doesn't really have any qualms about it. It's also part of human nature, right? And so, but Levi, I think, understands that better than most. That's why he's never been reluctant to use violence. So you think she's just making a plain statement and asking for his agreement on it? And I think it might, like, this probably wasn't her intention, but I think it might lead to some reflection on Levi's part. Um, I think there's a reason that we haven't been allowed to hear anything from him so far, that he's been conveniently napping through all the important conversations. I think it's building up to him having a moment. I don't know what that's going to be. But the fact that he is reacting in some way to those words means something. Well, I I also see... Her saying that, similar to how Zeke was talking to Aaron in, like, I think 121, where they were, like, going through paths. To me, it kind of reminded me of that, where, you know, he's just, like, sort of mocking him, but also, like, trying to be like, oh, do you do you get my point of, like, well, the way I view the world is like, oh, well, this is inevitable. People are just going to keep fighting. Uh, you can't take violence from people. Because mm-hmm. y- Yelena's whole purpose of being here is just, I'm going to wait until we find Zeke again and then abandon you. Like That's my opinion of it anyway. <laughs> she doesn't care. Um, So I, I personally see it as her just mocking Levi uh, because she can. But at the same time, I could see her just like plain saying that and being sincere. But Yelena's not really a very sincere person. Her, her most sincere moment was like last chapter and she still used it to like make fun of people. Mm-hmm. She's just a really hard character to read, I think. I can never really tell what's going on inside her head. Well, a lot of people definitely thought that um, Yelena's statement was significant to Levi regardless. And I know you think it was. And, you know, the fact that he is focused on after that you know, I understand people saying that. So I do think that, you know, Levi hasn't really spoken now, like you were saying, in all those, all these chapters, he is going to have some sort of a moment or an epiphany or a whatever. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be violence is bad, or I'm not going to be violent anymore. I don't think so either. What I think he's, he's got the right to be tired of fighting and having to do this. Mm-hmm. I think there's some, some amount of resignation in that look. I don't know. I would agree with that. Just that it's, that they have to do this. I have a feeling, you know, I'd always hoped that after the attack with Zeke, that he would recover enough to at least be able to emotionally support the cast or emotionally do something. I, I don't know that he's going to be able to fight. I don't know that, you know, depending how quickly things happen, but he's always been the character who's either said or motivated other people in a certain way, you know, with a few words and... I hope he has the energy to do that one more time. Like mm-hmm. he's always brought a lot of impact, emotional impact to scenes or in, in helping to motivate others to do the right thing. So, you know, to give them the extra push that they need or 
something. I would love to see him do that again. Me too. I think you will. Yeah. All right. So we did our character, uh, the Likert scale again, whether or not this uh, chapter has changed opinions or not. And I should also mention that MVP, Connie, Connie currently is our chapter MVP and had, um, really? I would say the second, yes. Can you believe, can you, what? did you ever foresee a time in the fandom that Connie would be a chapter MVP, Luna? As much complaining as people have done about Connie on this very podcast, did you ever foresee that day? Whoa, 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 what? Connie, well, am- it's not, it's, it's close. It's, it's between Connie, so 33.8% Connie, 29.2 Kiyomi. So I it's, don't it's the two of them. Choices. Right. <laughs> and, and the number three is only 9% yeah. Mikasa. So Connie and Kiyomi ran away with this chapter. I guess that's because people like action. Cause I guess these were the three people that stood out to most. We look at the um, at the favorability. Connie is a huge spike. Kiyomi is a huge spike. Magath got a nice little bump too. The character who didn't was Armin, which I guess makes sense. Except that you know he and Connie were in all the scenes doing all of it together. So yeah, but Armin got shot and was like a horrible actor and just like didn't do anything. <laughs> Connie had to do all the hard work. <laughs> Connie was the one who actually killed their two friends. So. Right. So Connie got our huge surge in the popularity poll. Armin did not because his talk no jitsu once again failed. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to open it up to you guys. Any thoughts about Connie this chapter? Or is anybody on the Connie train now that wasn't before? Or any other thoughts about this? My feelings haven't changed. I mean, Connie's always been fine and he still is. It was a really sad chapter for him. So, I mean, I definitely felt for him. My opinion on his character hasn't changed, but. I appreciated his moments. I think this did a whole lot more for his character than the whole Rakugo subplot did. Yeah, for sure. So this was a good chapter for him. Did you like it too, King's Grave? Or were you at least more favorable? I've never liked Connie. Aww. <laughs> I mean, I liked Connie in 124 and 125 and not in 126. Did anyone like 126? Or at least Connie? Uh, some people did. Sephora, did you like 126? Because I know you're another one of those people that is very forgiving of the series. You don't complain about it like some of us do. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't particularly bother me. Like, I mean, I totally understood people's complaints, but I can't say it really bothered me personally when I was reading it all that much. Not one of the stronger chapters, but I'm not hurt by it and Connie was fine like he is you know I'm I'm always just happy to wait and see how chapters fit into the hole and what it feels like backing up a little bit and reading it all together and I think it's going to be fine once it's all over biggest complaint I guess was more like character moments and people wanted more out of those I'm I wasn't personally like super connected to any of the characters that really took the spotlight in that chapter anyway so there wasn't like a whole lot of distance for me to be let down i guess yeah that makes sense Mm -hmm. i love um 
I, I do appreciate like, because how long have you been involved in the series now? Like a year? Not long. So the first chapter I had to wait for was 119. Oh, wow. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then I got like, you know, the paths chapters, like four chapters in a row that just lit my brain on fire. I was basically useless for four months. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been a very different experience. And I've got this bird's eye view, like after getting the whole story, like as a bolus to now this maddening slow drip. But I, I don't know, I, I'm still used to just, um, you know, seeing how things work in the whole and I've reread it a couple of times. And I, things that people have complained about in the past, um, pacing issue wise, and that kind of thing, I was really surprised to hear about when I first got into the fandom, because I didn't notice those things at all. Because I just kind of get ironed out, I think when, when you take it all in at once, or at least it did for me. Like I remember having to wait a month for 106 and then 107 and then 108. That was really brutal. But I guess people that had to wait for like uprising chapters, it was even Ooh. more brutal for them. <laughs> it, apparently it was. Momtaku was there. She's like the fandom dinosaur. I feel but... so old. You're wise. That's, what we call <laughs> That's the problem. No, no wisdom comes with this. Just pain. Just pain. <laughs> like absolute. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, this stupid, you know, I, 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 I get it. Like, I know we asked um, in the poll, I think Luna, I think you'd added the question about what people really thought about this arc. Was it better? Was it worse? Was it the same? Uh, yeah, yeah. And most people are pretty happy with it. Like the, the, the ones shaking their canes at it are definitely the minority. Uh, and I do recognize that a lot of that is just, you know, I'm, you know, being just weary after so long of this game every month of read the chapter, think about it, come up with theories, anticipate what's coming next, and then be disappointed because it's not what you thought was going to happen or it's not the way you thought it was going to happen. And then, you know, wash, rinse, repeat for six years. It, it wears you down after a while. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of my frustration is just like this weird thing between wanting it to hurry up and end but wanting everything to happen that I want to have happen. So I know some of it's on me. I mean, the pacing has always been not great. And he's always struggled with character focus. He's always been great about setting up the mysteries, but then the reveals sometimes have fallen a little bit flat. And he's always been terrible with villains. The only good villain he's actually made is Kenny Ackerman. And Kenny's, I mean, I don't even know that most people would consider him a villain, but I feel like with Rod Reese, with... Del Sanis, they've just not been great villains. I mean, he's doing a pretty good job with Aaron, I think. He's doing a great job with Aaron. Because <laughs> I even feel like Flock hasn't been a great villain. And even Zeke, like I think Zeke was supposed to be a villain. And I don't know. That I mean, he wasn't returning to Shina. I was just about to say, that, he, he killed your precious Erwin. Like, he was a very compelling antagonist during that arc, but after that, he was more of a deuteragonist. I loved hating him. He was easy and fun to hate, and now he's no longer easy and fun to hate. <laughs> oh, well. She was so mad when she found out about Zeke's childhood, because she couldn't, like, hate him for <laughs> no reason at all anymore. <laughs> she just shifted her hate to his uh, stepfather. Yes, I shifted my hate <laughs> to his stepfather. No, I told you, I was hoping to care about him. Like, I, the greatest thing I in the world recall. is when you hate somebody, you and you start... Okay, what I said was that I didn't want to care about him, and I was worried that I was going to. I did not want to care, and I was worried that Isayama was going to do like he does sometimes, where you don't like somebody, and then suddenly he's able to manipulate you into actually caring very much about somebody. And 
he was not successful no, in that. that like, it's not that I'm like completely uh, heartless. Like I, I do feel bad for what happened to him. And in that sense, he was humanized a little bit, but he still made his decisions and he still had a choice. So it's hard for me to get on the Zeke bandwagon. Like I said before, if he ends up not maybe having a redemption arc, but something to where he at least recognizes what he did was wrong and then some way to make up for it, I'd be very happy. I'd love, I'd love for him to be in pads forever, making sure <laughs> Titans don't get built. I'm, I'm on King Graves. Uh, I'm on that one now. That's my hey. head cannon now. I love it. Maybe one day you'll accept that he, uh, you know, his second father was uh, better than Christian. <laughs> I, the things that, no, I, I wish, I wish I could join you with that one. I like him better than Corinna. I will give you that. I like Xavier better than Corinna. <laughs> I mean, he had to be a good father because Zeke went from like a complete, almost dropout to like the number one <laughs> candidate in the Warrior program. So we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll get a little more Xavier, and we'll both have. I mean, he could be a bad person and still be a good parent in a, like a now, weird way. Let's be way. fair. He had a first kid to practice on too. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, that's true. Like being the oldest, you're always like the messed up one because your parents don't know true. what they're doing. Like it's just, uh, we'll throw <laughs> something at the wall and see what sticks. We'll have more. We'll figure it out with those. They could be the good ones. That's completely true. Okay, let me ask. So, getting back on topic, Sephora, you said that you really enjoyed the emotion of Connie. Mom that Taco you thought is not it was the really oldest, well so she feels uncomfortable. Like, no, no, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the pain of the oldest. I'm glad I'm not the oldest. Um, okay, you said that you appreciated, and you thought the emotion was really well done. You felt for Connie. Did the return of Daz and Samuel do anything for you emotionally? Like, um. Well, I don't think it was about that. Okay, so I see what was being done there. Mm -hmm. They were obviously making a parallel with Bertolt and that kind of thing. And it, it didn't have the same impact that that moment did, because obviously they don't have the same relationship with Des and Samuel as they did with Bert. And we saw more of Bert and some of us, um, you know, those of us with taste cared about him. Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> but I don't think that was the job of Daz and Samuel in this chapter, right? They were there to give a moment to Armin and Connie, and I think they did the job, right? So I didn't care so much about them. And yeah, it wasn't as emotionally rich as the thing that it was paralleling, but I don't think this all has to be perfectly um, analogous. And so it was good enough for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I quite enjoyed seeing them because I just wondered what happened to them. Yeah, Daz was not one of my favorite characters, so I didn't mind him dying. But I felt really bad about Samuel because I kept wondering what happened to him after Sasha, you know, saved him. Like, was he able to recover? Could he still use his leg? And he's like walking around just fine. And then he dies by Connie's hands and it's such cruel, twisted fate. And I felt bad. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, poor Sasha's legacy. Samuel was declared dead in the guidebook. I don't care right? about the you guidebook. You know this. I know that, but I don't <laughs> care about the Which guidebook. Which has Isayama's name as the author. It does? Mm-hmm. Guidebooks are notorious for being incorrect, though, and shown in any way. Like, the Dragon Ball Z and the Naruto ones are, like, incredibly inaccurate. So I just assumed that was the case with all the shonen ones. I'm pretty sure they're ghost-ridden, so even if it's, like, Isayama's name, it's just to sell them. 
figured he read through them or somebody on his team read through them for at least consistency sake. Yeah. Well, anyway, I feel sad. And I hope it's not like the beginning because like Sasha saved a lot of people. So Samuel and then um, what's her like weird neck girl? What's her name again? Weird neck girl? Oh, Kaya. Yeah. So she saved Kaya and then uh, Gabby. Oh, well, saved her is not really the point, but like spared her. I wonder, I hope the kids stay fine. I hope like this is not like the first domino that just fell over and that like all of Sasha's legacy will vanish. I think that's probably safe at least. It is really funny that the old guidebook had underneath Thomas, it had saved by Sasha and then it had deceased. So now they'd have to revise it to saved by Sasha killed by Connie, which would be kind of funny if they were to do that. Going back to what you were saying about Daz and Samuel, we asked on the poll, how do you feel about them returning after such a long absence? And it's almost like, like if there was ever a chart that like visualized this, there are three types in a fandom, it's this one, because we have close to a three-way split between who, people that just didn't even remember who they were or didn't care, another third of the fandom who loved seeing the them again and thought it adds some emotion to the scene and then 23% who are just like salty about it because they want somebody important to die and Isayama's bringing them back just to have somebody to kill so it really does feel like you know the three faces of fandom in this one question I think dumb and dumber mm -hmm. how did you feel about it Kingsgrave I don't even remember who they were to be honest other than Daz because it's a meme uh, people just go like, hi, best character. Like some random guy that Isayama like jokingly said is like him. Like, I, I don't know. In terms of the actual moment, I thought it was was interesting. It's just that I, I just didn't want to really see it. Like it, it felt like it took way too many panels and way too many pages. And I'd rather see like the conflict with Flock or the conflict with Flock Squad because I I thought it was more indicative of like what the chapter was trying to say in general, whereas, or what, not the chapter, but the, um, the arc in that, like you have to fight your old comrades if they're, they're wrong. I guess it's the Daz and Samuel thing is kind of like that, but I don't know. I didn't even remember who they were. So it wasn't really moving to me. It was just moving in that, like Connie had to kill people. I don't remember, really remember the last time Connie killed anybody. Armor getting shot. I mean, that, that looked like it hurt, but also he's a titan, so I don't, I, I don't really feel a whole lot of like, oh no, you know what I mean? Yeah, you see, Emma keeps doing this, like, oh, Armin is going to die. Be afraid, <laughs> readers. You're just like, no, he's not. Like, we're trying to fool. Yeah, I, the only reason I remember Samuel is because uh, I clearly uh, remember Sasha calling out his name, but I had no idea what he looked like. So when I first saw a panel of him, I was like, who the hell is this? And also because I love his name, because his full name is like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Or Samuel Link Jackson. <laughs> wow, really? <and> yeah. <laughs> Samuel <laughs> so that, Link, it's hyphenated, Link Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. Do you feel like this was an attempt to like give another voice to the Jaegerists to show like reasonable people can also be Jaegerists, that Jaegerists are just like us? 
I did think of Leslie when when I read the that part of like that's exactly what he wanted in that episode, right? I don't know if it's exactly what he wanted. What he wanted was somebody to identify some amount of hypocrisy or like some drawback in their ideology. Well, the thing is, it was like all stereotypical ha-ha-ha villain style kind of in that particular chapter. So he's like, he he wants a nuance. He wants to see, you know. Well, that was, he was talking about that with the scene with like Flock about to execute the volunteers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and when Onyan Capone was, you know, calling everybody out and saying like, how can you be okay with this indiscriminate murder? Don't you see like, what you're doing and the irony of this. He wanted somebody to recognize, oh, he's got a point, but then feel like they still need to do what they're doing. You know, he wanted to see some kind, like a little bit of nuance there, I think. Um, and I don't think we got that from this moment, but I think it intended to humanize the individuals in this organization a little bit. Doesn't Samuel, I mean? Yeah, um, so it's not only like the, the people like Floch and the people who are like, you know, celebrating, yeah, we're going to genocide the world. It's just, right, right. you know, it can be anyone. Like one positive of it is that it just showed that the, the people that were, I guess they were like, doesn't Samuel never deviated from the original mission, the original like view of the world and that like our island good, everything outside is trying to kill us. So of course we're going to defend our island. I like that because it shows that, you know, because when we only get Flock's perspective, it makes it seem like Flock is the one that everybody agrees with him and they have like some grandiose villainous or racist view. And it's really just like, no, they're just trying to survive and they're not, they can't really afford to think about it all that much. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, only the people who survived the return to Shiganshina arc minus Flock then were the people to travel to uh, Marley and see what life on the other side was like. None of the other Parandesians have that privilege. Right. They only know what's been told to them, what's been shown to them, but they've never actually experienced it for themselves. Like, in their minds, I imagine all the, the world that wants to kill them, how different are they really from the Titans that they've been living under all this time, hmm. right? Like, they have no reason to see it any differently. Yeah, for them, it's just a change in enemy. That would make Daz and Samuel a little more sympathetic, I think, if you're putting it that way, that they, they've never seen the outside world. So it's, it is definitely a faceless villain to them. Yeah, it's more Whereas Flock is more inexcusable. Yeah. yeah. It also really explains why um, the, like, Flock's um, actions in Liberia, where he was just, like, okay with burning down civilian buildings. He's like, well, they're titans. They killed us. No, that, that he's just a bitch there, a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I mean, that's that's probably representative in general of like they don't see them as any different than like what they've been fighting before. So I can see that's why some people probably think that Erwin would support the rumbling, but Erwin is never that simple-minded. Right. Erwin would probably be obsessed with learning all the world cultures and languages and geography to an obsessive degree. <laughs> Mm. I feel like the Jaegerists in general are more like the us versus them mentality, mm-hmm. which will continue on. Even let's say that uh, Aaron is genociding the world. Like Yelena has a point. Like they're just, and also Kiyomi, like 
they are going to create a divide within their own people on parodies. It's a never-ending cycle. Erwin was right. So I think the only thing we haven't talked about was that moment with Kiyomi and Mikasa. And I will be honest that it's not one that I paid a lot of attention to. Like just that one panel with Kiyomi completely stole like that whole moment. I have heard other people talking about Mikasa's maybe family feelings towards Kiyomi that she actually seemed to be concerned for her like beyond just being a human being in need of protection, but that maybe Mikasa is feeling maybe a little more of that bond now of her own background with this person. Did you all pick up on any of that? I did not. How about you guys? Yeah, I, I didn't pay a ton of attention to that part. <laughs> like, I just see it more as a Mikasa being Mikasa, where she's just trying to save people. While also like indiscriminately killing people that are against her without thinking about it. And was it just me or did she look a whole lot like Levi? I just... thought it was Levi when I saw the Yeah, spoilers. she looks, I think like the Ackerman genes were really coming through in her action scenes. Maybe they inherited the uh, battle style through paths. Yeah. Well, I think what's so funny is that they, the, the, and again, this is what Isayama does really well. Like that animosity between Annie and Mikasa, he never forgets about that. <laughs> so here's Annie being all kind and reasonable to everybody. But the minute Mika says, you know, oh, well, the Azuma Beetle are going to get hurt. Annie uses that as an opportunity to be like, wait, you call them relatives. You know, they attacked my homeland. And then it was Peak that had to jump in and say, Annie, calm down. This is actually a real problem. Yeah, but like from, the, from a practical stand of it's a problem, but like... Otherwise, Ani would be like, I don't care about your family, whatever. Only right. care about Annie's my dad. Being <laughs> empathetic, like in a lot of ways, she's being empathetic, but when it comes mm. to that her and Mikasa thing, there's no lost love there at all. Annie stays very much in character when it comes to any interaction she has with Mikasa. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm not <too>. complaining. <laughs> yeah. My only complaint about Annie is I want her hair back up because sometimes it looks like Historia, and <laughs> it really bothers me that her hair is down. Oh, I like it. I like that. That's like her glow up from the four years. Like that's, yeah, that's her only way to look different. Like there's before the time skip and after, and after she has her hair down. I think it's to make her look older. Maybe on the pa on the poll, we should do a hair up or hair down for Annie and see <laughs> what people prefer. I mean, I assume it's just to make her look older, right? She's not supposed to be older, though. She's supposed no. to be stuck I know, in time. But also, she's older, like, emotionally. Mm -hmm. So it's probably to signify that she is, like, she maybe hasn't aged physically, but she's aged emotionally because she was hearing everything. Well, and now she resembles her Titan form more. So yeah, it doesn't matter because, like, we all know that she's a female Titan now. I, I still know. think it would have been really cool if she looked like she'd come out of a, a time capsule, you know, look just like with the hair up. And, I, you know, I guess it could have gone either way. I still find it a little more jarring to see her with the hair down than the other characters who I know have had a glow up over the course of time. Historia's pregnant. She's not hard to miss. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, a, a lot of the character design changes are going to be hard to get used to, like, if we see Zeke again, he's not going to have his glasses or his long hair mm. or, or long beard, unless he's in pads. I can't wait till we get the bandages off Levi, see what he looks like underneath. Yeah. 
Right now, he just looks like Kakashi from Naruto. I know. <laughs> what did you say? I miss it. Right now, he looks like Kakashi from Naruto. Oh, he even has like, the same yeah. covering over the eye and everything. Yeah. Is he going to be like Shadow's replacement or something? I don't like, know. He's going he's gonna to be the new disgraced like Survey Corps member that trains everybody, and Shadow's will be like rule of the island because like, everyone else is dead or something. I don't know. Do you want to talk more That's about Shadow's the Chattis? We did not say Shadish the Chattis once in this. That's a problem. <laughs> Apologies to all the Shadis fans. It would have been a perfect moment for Shadis to appear. I guess he's going to appear in next chapter. Shadis showing up in an ar- disarming flock would have been amazing. But it's coming, right? Shadis is alive for a reason. And maybe next chapter we'll, we'll find out what that reason is. Maybe Shadis will take over when the whole 140s on their way across the continent to stop Eren, like he has to hold down the fort on Paradis once the Jaegerists are all gone, or he's gonna try and get rid of all of them. Yeah, he has to take Zackley's place because he's dead, and Pixis is dead, and Isle is dead, and Rogue is dead. I bet you he's really regretting uh, being any involved with Grisha or Eren right now. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else we need to talk about? I guess we didn't talk about the face retcon from 123. Oh, the panel change. We should. You are an Aaron person, Saflora. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? I haven't looked at it very carefully yet. Like, I feel like I need to reread that scene with the new face in it to really get a, get a feel on it, and I haven't yet. First of all, he looks more on model. Like, he looks like the following panel, I think. So that's an improvement. The emotion is different, and I'm not quite sure what it's saying yet. I think he looks more obviously sad in the first one. In the second one, I think there's still some sadness, but there's a little bit more intensity from the interaction as well. So I think maybe that was the purpose, just like trying to convey that there was a little bit more fire in him at the moment. Anything for you, Kingsgrave? The older one, like the one on the left, he looks... Like before they changed it, he looks like pre time skip Aaron, and then the, the corrected one, he looks like post time skip Aaron to me. Hmm. Like the the change in how he like his eyes are, and the change is just like how intense he is on in the corrected one. To me, matches more of like how he was in in both like Liberio and in this current arc. That he's just like way more intense, and I thought the the point was to show that this is one of those moments in that was one of those days where like the old Aaron was gone. So you think that he's less emotional, like more like the mindset that we see in Liberio, that it was made to align more than that rather than making him look more like the Aaron who earlier at the train ceremony was talking about how much he loved his friends. Yeah. Cause the, the older one looks like, um, like he's asking Mikasa uh, sincerely. And the other one is like, he knows that she's, what she what he's what she's going to say and he's just is asking anyway like hmm. it seems a lot more intense and calculated on that part because as we know the broader context is that you know throughout since he'd learned of the future from like kissing historia's hand he was just like constantly fighting against the the future and trying to like fight against it as much as he possibly could try to figure out how to change it and then he just eventually realized he can't but you don't agree with people. Like, I have seen people restating that Aaron only asked Mikasa that 
to spot check his future memories, like to make sure that the answer is consistent with what he'd already seen in his visions. You don't, you don't go that far. No, the farthest I've ever gone is is believing that he he knows of like a few things, like possibly Falco becoming a Titan, but he doesn't know the broader picture. So why do you think he asked Mikasa that? Well, I thought before that he sincerely wanted there to be like a romantic thing there, but and that he seemed like distraught. But now it just seems more like he is in the process of just being angry about it. I don't know. I'm not really an Aaron fan, so I don't know if my perception of Aaron is like all that accurate. What was your read on it originally, Sephora? I didn't really read any romantic intent on Aaron's part at all. Um, I thought it had something to do with her Ackerman blood, right? I think he was worried that he had like somehow enslaved her or something. Hmm. and would have been devastated by that being the reason that she was attached to him. He hadn't met Zeke at this point, right? Or, ha- or had he? He had not. No, he had not. This is just Yelena. So like, he had met Yelena, and I don't know what he learned from her and what he learned from Zeke. That was from Zeke, though, wasn't it? Well, like, Yelena was uh, Zeke's number two, and she seemed to know like basically everything about the Survey Corps. In 112, Aaron specifically said, I've talked to my brother. He knows more about and he, you know, Definitely the impi- opinion or the impression was that Aaron had learned all of that from Zeke specifically. Of course, he could have been lying. But, but that was after this, this point, chronologically. Like This was before he even abandoned uh, Paradise. Right. So he, he, at that point, may not have known about the Ackerman. Because yeah. as far as we know, he he abandoned Paradise after this after 123, and mm-hmm. then he spent like several months pretending to be a soldier walking around Marley, and then he committed Liberia. Obviously, there's a bunch of stuff we don't know about in between there, but we also know that he was talking to Yelena at this point. So it's possible she told him about Ackermans, and that freaked him out. Possible. Yeah. Maybe this is something we'll get clarification on because I had um, I had read it more as a desperate moment as well, you know, like uh, because his face just he looked so anguished, and I do agree that he looks more confident now. I think the fact that he retconned this is a good indication that we probably will get more clarity on it later, like that it mattered enough to go back and make sure it said exactly what he wanted it to say. We just don't know what it is yet. It's like with the, when he retconned Reiner. Like Reiner's comments to like uh, before it it said something like um, we are the same into like into and then he changed it into uh, Reiner like refuting it like no we are not the same mm-hmm. and then that came up this chapter where Reiner then realizes like oh that's what you meant when you when you said we were the same or also when he retconned uh, like Shadis originally looked like he had. Um, like Titan Serum bandana on or like the armband on but then he like later removed it and obviously Shadis didn't get turned into a Titan and he like ended up saving the day so it probably will become important 
All that's left is the quick fire round. Polka has once again provided us with some names and questions for us, and you guys know how this goes. Uh, I will say two names and you will pick one. And I don't even know that we have a criteria for which one you pick. I guess it's who you like better. And uh, try not to think too long about it. He's also given us a few single name answers. And he wanted me to make clear that this was made while he was tipsy. So he apologized. Oh, it's one advance. of those. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, it's pretty brief. It's not like sometimes when I think he's tipsy. Yeah, this one. And um, the other thing he has at the very end is a shout out to Andrew Allstars. So I will include that shout out to Andrew Allstars. So our order for this will be Saflora, Kingsgrave, Luna, me. So Saflora, you'll go first and then Kingsgrave. Okay. Right. You ready? Ready. All right. Jean or Connie? Jean. No question. Jean. 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 Okay. Hanji or Armin? Hanji. 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 Wow. Kiyomi or Magath? Magath. 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 Ooh, we're agreeing on everything. <laughs> and everything. Nice. What is wrong? This this corona quarantine is making us all so nice. Polka needs to look sharp. Maybe you should make the next one sober. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Aaron or Zeke? Aaron. Come on, this is even hard. Come on, Zeke. <laughs> Yay, difference. Aaron. I'm thinking. Oh, oh my God. Zeke, Zeke, Zeke. I might say the person who killed Irwin or someone else. Come on, you can do this. <laughs> which, which genocide plan is is least bad? <laughs> Zeke's plan is arguably less bad than what Aaron is doing. Like well, Zeke, we don't know Zeke, what Aaron's doing. I'm gonna pass. You guys think like Aaron wouldn't try to kill Irwin? Aaron would have let Irwin live. That's all I'm saying. And Aaron would not have. He's the one that was like, Armin, Armin, Armin. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> Reiner or the combination of Gabby and Falco? Reiner. 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 Daz or Samuel? Daz? <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. I guess Daz. I don't know. Hmm. Dumb or dumber. I don't know. <laughs> I'll go with Samuel L. Jackson. Daz for the memes. <laughs> Flock or Yelena? Yelena. 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 This is, wow. <laughs> Annie or Peek? Uh, okay, that one's hard. Annie. 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 And Peek for me. So there, we disagreed. All right, the following are single name answers. So, Flora, you begin. Who was the most disappointing character this chapter? Ooh. Mm, Armin? I don't know. Armin, sure. Because he, he keeps forgetting that he can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses, dude. Well, hey, totally. Hey, uh, I'm not. I'm totally not a diversion. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so you also said Armin. Uh, worst character, Armin. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm either gonna go with Armin or Magoth this chapter, but I like Magoth more, so I'll say Armin. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Samuel because 
I don't care. He should know better than become a Jaegerist. Mm. Cop out answer. Okay. Next no, one. he should know better. Next Who one. was the best character? Who was the best character this chapter? The best character? Oh, no. <laughs> so many of them were so good. I mean, I chose Annie for MVP, so I guess I could stick with that. Um, yeah, sure. I'll just go with Annie. Uh, best character this chapter, Reiner. I fully agree, Reiner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Connie. Okay. Who will die next? Hmm. Probably not Flock, huh? It's not. No, he has, <laughs> he has to stick around. He has to get the blame pinned on him, doesn't he? Uh, he's going to die next? I don't know, some redshirt Jaegerists, but if we're not going to redshirt, it's maybe Aaron? Because I just want them to get in the damn plane and go <laughs> him. Uh, who will die next? Another random character from season one. Exactly. <laughs> Rico. <laughs> Is that your final answer, Kingsgrave? Yeah. Okay. Or I guess flock just to piss off Polka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have to actually, we have to have Polka on the episode where uh, flock dies. So <laughs> he's already called dibs on that one. He will be crying, like drinking and crying the whole episode. I'm going to mm-hmm. laugh so hard if, if Zeke kills flock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my answer is Connie. I think so. Really? Yeah. Okay. So my answer would be Hannah Diamante from season one, who is listed (laughs) in the guidebook as deceased after being saved by, who was she saved by in Trost? I don't even remember. Was it Armin? No. Somebody came across her. Mikasa. No, Armin. Was she the one doing CPR on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing CPR on Oh, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay, so I think the next character to die is going to be Hannah Diamante, who is actually alive. Even the guidebook said she's dead. And she's going to come back next episode as um, a Jaegerist who is um, in charge of, like, organizing the mechanic. She moved on, and she got pregnant, and also had children, and she's going to die. She's going to be guarding the other half of the mechanics that Flock was not tormenting. So she's going to be <laughs> in the basement with the mechanics and Hannah Diamante will die trying to keep the 104th from getting the mechanics. That's my prediction. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that was actually the last one. Oh, that was relatively short. Yay, Polka. Can you believe that? This has come to an end. Finally. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it only took four right, hours. Well, <laughs> I just came up with a uh, a question for that. Just uh, okay. a question in, in that style. So, and this is like specifically for Momtaku. Ooh. So you get Erwin on that cover, but he supports the rumbling. Do you agree or do you take <laughs> no, that? No, I... Leave it. Leave it. He has to... <laughs> I never fell in love for Erwin with Erwin for any reason except for that I admired mm-hmm. like his ideals. Okay. So I was great. Would- what you should know about women is we're not all that visual. <laughs> so we can imagine things through text. So she has plenty of fan fictions where she <laughs> can turn to. That's all I'm saying. I yeah, read you, a you read me a sauna fic. When we were in California. I remember. <laughs> yeah. I got my Erwin sauna moment. I, uh, I honestly did not understand the, the full extent of your like of Erwin until one day 
I went to your Tumblr blog and the entire page was just like fan art of Erwin. <laughs> I really like him. I really <laughs> like him. Yeah, but I love that she read like Erori's smut to me as my bedtime story while we were in <laughs> It was not. It was it was not. We were in the whole point was that it was literally my bedtime story. <laughs> Huh, and I didn't even read you the whole thing. I just told you what it was about. I, I kept making like, ooh, noises every time she kept reading. <laughs> like, ooh, what's going to happen next? <laughs> Nothing happened. It was just a one shot. Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, thank you for listening to our podcast. We'd like to thank Kingsgrave and Saflora for joining us. I hope you all would consider coming back at some point. Absolutely. If Zeke ever dies, I guess I will have to. <laughs> All right. This is so fun. Thank you guys so much for waiting for me for like an hour while I finished work. And then spending another four hours recording. Thank you really so much. <laughs> I hope at least you'll be able to get a good night's sleep in after this. You too. Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm beat. We'd like to thank everyone for their support of the podcast. And one way that you can do that is just by giving us a comment or a like or um, giving us your feedback on our website. We appreciate learning how we can improve and what things you've enjoyed and um, what things we could do better. So we appreciate that. Um, maybe we should mention that we've suspended our Patreon during the Corona crisis. Yeah, so we're suspended billing for now. Um, you're still welcome to join, but we won't be charging. But we do want to... Uh, thank our current patrons, which are Kenny, Miranda, Simon, and Taryn. Thank you so much for your support all these months. Yeah, we hope to see our uh, list of patrons grow. You can support us starting for as low of an amount as $1 a month. And uh, it helps us pay for the servers, but also for some plugins that make the audio sound better. And what is our next goal on Patreon? I don't know. I thought you were going to rework them. Yeah, well, we were looking forward to having a transcription <laughs> service so you can read four hours of content instead of listening to it. Right, because who wouldn't want to read it all? Yeah. And they can search and find when I'm being stupid and copy paste it to Twitter and make fun of it. So think about that. Now that would be worth. <laughs> but if you have any other suggestions of things that you find missing or you would like to see added to our podcast as an extra service, please let us know in the comments. And if you'd like to be a guest, we do have um, the application on our website. And Sephora, you filled one out uh, quite a long time ago, didn't you? I did. Yeah, it was a long time. It was after 123 when I like had to rage quit seven times. And <laughs> <laughs> so if you fill out the form, we might not be able to have you on immediately, but we'll definitely keep considering you. And we will get in touch with you, so don't worry. I have to go back and look at 123 because you're so even tempered, Sephora. I have to, I've got to, like, I don't even remember what 123 was. No, that's almost we got ugly Aaron at the end saying, I'm going to destroy the world. And then everybody just took it at face value. And I was like, you need to look deeper. But I can see why that would have been like all of your, all of your plotting and all of your theories. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So we hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast this month. Thank you, as always, for offering your hearts and your ears. And see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
How do you say Van Gogh's name correctly? Van Gogh. Now try and repeat that. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I could do that. Gogh. Say the whole name. Vincent van Gogh. Gogh. No, oh, pretty good. All right. That that G sound, I just I, I yeah. Can't. So there's two types of G sounds in the Netherlands. So I'm from like up north, like above the Rhine River, as we say here. So we have a hard G. So that sounds like Gh, which is not a very flattering sound. And then in the south, it's a soft G, which sounds like I don't know if it's I can still do it. Yeah, like that. So in the south, they would say Vincent van Gogh, and up north we say Vincent van Gogh. So it's a bit less flattering up north, I guess, the way we pronounce it. I don't know which one is easier for you guys to say. Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs>